Hello there, folks, and welcome back to Dude and a Monkey. This is episode 19 of everyone's favourite film show. Uh, it, it better be your favourite anyway. Uh, my name is Ian Loring, and as always, I am joined by... Uh, Mark Foster. Hello, everybody. Brilliant. Um, and uh, I am steering the ship this week, so I'm taking the lead. Uh, so apologies that we weren't around last week. Um, it was a combination of... Mark being busy at the weekend and me kind of being busy in the week, I suppose. So um, it, it, it was what it was. But uh, we're going to smack you round the face with not one, not two, not eight, but four reviews uh, this week. So um, the reviews are going to be taking the place of the marathon and also one old and one new. Uh, though we will be doing a little bit of uh, trailers to warm up. And uh, what are we reviewing? Um, we're going to start off with uh, Fede Alvarez's remake of Evil Dead, which may be a little bit old hat, but we'll see if we can um, squeeze some uh, useful juice out of it. Uh, we'll then be joined by very special guest Noel Meller to uh, review the... Uh, Divisive, it has to be said, uh, new effort by Rob Zombie, The Lords of Salem. Uh, Mark and I will then, uh, uh, will then get into uh, another film. We haven't actually decided what the, the order was going to be after that. Um, the one you've seen, shall we do the one you've seen today last? Uh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Okay, so we'll then get into, again, rather divisive, and surprisingly so, in, in, in a way, considering the director, uh, Terence Malick's latest To The Wonder, which has recently come out on the video on demand in the US. And finally, we will take a look at uh, one of the releases in the UK this week. Not Iron Man 3. There is no Iron Man 3 on this show. Um, if you want Iron Man 3 uh, from me, I would suggest uh, 35mm Heroes, which would probably be out in the next couple of days we're recording tomorrow. But no Iron Man 3. Instead, we are taking a look at the... Uh, Interesting that it was released the same week as Iron Man 3. What does that say for the distributors thinking of its chances? It's the look of love. Steve Coogan is Paul Raymond, brackets, Bizarro World, Alan Partridge. <laughs> um, so, uh, dude and a monkey at gmail.com, uh, at Ian Loring, at DudeFoss, and at Dude and a Monkey. Reviews on iTunes, much appreciated. I will say, I don't have iTunes, so I don't know if there are reviews on there. There are a few, yes, from some very nice people, um, and none from any not nice people yet. None, none from not nice people. No, none from not nice people. Okay, yeah. that's good. That's good to know. But um, iTunes reviews are appreciated, as is the general goodwill, and uh, the, the, the you know people do like comment saying not trying to blow our trumpets or anything like that, but people do comment saying you know thanks for thanks for the show and getting me through my shift at work or thanks for getting me through my jog or my drive or whatever. And that shit is appreciated. It, it, yeah, it certainly is. Um, definitely appreciated. It kind of, it gives us, you know, we don't, I don't know about Ian, but I, I don't check how many people have downloaded or anything like that. Not so really, I have no, no idea if people are listening. Uh, but when people say, oh, I, I, you know, thanks, you know, got me through the day at work, stuff like that, it does make you go, you know, fucking good. Glad that we're actually, you know, we're actually entertaining people because, you know, I listen to podcasts on my way to work and podcasts do get me through work. On Friday afternoon, for instance, I ran out of podcasts on my phone and I still had a shitload of like, stuff to do. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm going to actually have to listen to music now. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it does, it does get like that. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, fuck, I, when I was, uh, working as projectionist, all I did was listen to podcasts just while I was like, um, uh, uh, lacing up the films and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, got me through. So I'm just glad we could do that for other people, like you say. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's get started. We're kind of in terms of real time. We've got about half an hour before Noel's going to join us. So, uh, let's, uh, get on. Uh, we've got a review and the trailers to get through. So, Mark, what trailers have you been watching this week, sir? Uh, well, the, I think the, the, the big trailer releases, um, this week were, uh, Thor, The Dark World. Um, uh, which I'll be honest, um, I I liked Thor. Uh, I liked it a lot more than I expected to like. I think everybody liked it a lot more than they expected to like it. This was kind of the you know the redheaded stepchild um, of the Marvel ones. Everyone was kind of thinking, well, why is that here? You know, it, it's Thor. He doesn't he doesn't fit in with the Captain America and Hulk and Iron Man. You know, he's he's just Thor. And then when the movie arrived, it was actually really, really quite entertaining. Um, I have a feeling that Thor The Dark World, to me, looked like the movie that everybody thought Thor was going to be. Uh, and like they've gone, oh, shit, we've got to do another Thor one because it made a load of money and he's really popular and he was really popular in uh, The Avengers Assemble. But, oh, we're a little bit out of ideas, so we're just going to do basically the same ones. Uh, it, the only thing that really perked my interest was at the end where they went to um, Magneto's prison and um, Loki was sat there. Um, <laughs> and that made me kind of go, do you know what? I think I, the, the, without question, my favourite Marvel character is Loki. Just because he's the only one who actually really seems to understand that he's not real. <laughs> You know, that he seems to just... Tommy Wilson seems to be really enjoying it and has really created this absolute, complete character that he's nothing... You know, it, it's not that akin to Loki out of the, the comic book. That's, it's very that, much his creation. That's a wicked point. Yeah, he... Because the thing is, as well, like, on Twitter and whatnot, he's always very, very up for, like, di- like talking about Loki and whatnot, it seems. And he, he's really, really embraced the character. Whereas mm. you think with, like, Chris Evans with Captain America, it maybe does kind of feel like it, it's it, it's a means to an end, perhaps. Yeah. And and Robert Downey Jr., you know, it, Robert Downey Jr. has gotten so big that for, like, the Iron Man 3 press stuff, he's barely been about. It's been all Don Cheadle and Gwyneth Paltrow getting interviewed all over the place. Like, Robert Downey Jr. doesn't need it. Tom Hiddleston, it feels like if you just went up to him and started, like, having a chat with him and started talking about Loki, he might well actually engage you in it. And you don't get that feeling a lot. Yeah, he he seems like he's, you know, he knows that he's never going to get a Loki movie. That's never going to happen. Yeah. So what he's going to do instead is he's going to steal every movie that Loki's in just by being just so fucking relaxed. There's no tension towards him. Everything just seems very effortless to him, to Tommy Austin. He seems to be kind of just floating through it. And one of my uh, kind of issues with uh, the Avengers was that I didn't see what, the bad guys' points were, other than the fact that they were just intergalactic jerks. But I kind of, with Loki, I kind of like the fact that 
he really he doesn't really have any point to what he's doing. He's just being a bit of a jerk. And I actually really like that about him. And the fact that the way he's just kind of sat, he's just kind of like slumped down with his hair kind of just all over the place. And I think somebody tweeted saying, holy fuck, I didn't know Skrillex was playing Loki in this film. Yeah. And he just, he does look a little bit like that. And as soon as I saw him, I thought, do you know what? Even if that film is terrible, I know every scene with Tom Hiddleston in it is going to be fucking gold. That's that's fair. And I mean, I, and I'll, I'll say as well about four. I I I think may, maybe it's a little bit. I, I I like the trailer more than it sounds like you did. Um, I think uh, the choice of Alan Taylor from Game of Thrones um, has. Oh, it, you could already kind of see it in the fact that. It it looks a lot more earthy, like not not as in it's more set on earth. Like there's a lot like the fight in the forest and the um you know yeah. the, the start with like the London stuff. It kind of it feels like it's got a not not exactly grit, but like the uh, the aesthetic grit, I suppose. Yeah. I think for in all its Dutch angled craziness did did lack and also the the fact that it was set in that new Mexico Mexico town or whatever that just kind of did look like an external set. Um, yeah. Uh this this looks like it's got it, it this looks more like it's got money chucked behind it. But I also think I, I really, really like Gennett Branagh's work on four, but I think that Alan Taylor is an in, a very interesting choice for the Dark World based on his work on Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree. It could, it could be interesting. I mean, it's hard to judge these kind of films by, by uh, trailers because you're going to get a very generic type of trailer sure. for an Avengers thing now. Uh, but segueing nicely on from kind of gritty comic book movies, the other big trailers that were released, um, well, we've got the you know in the two weeks since we've recorded, we've got more Man of Steel trailers. Um, I'm very much looking forward to this film. Uh, if it's anywhere near as dark as it's pretending to be, uh, I think it could be very, very good. Um, however, it might be one of those things where it, it, everything seems very dark, and then once you actually get into the film, it'll open up, and it'll just be another Superman movie. Um, but it, it, it seems that having that... Um, having. Nolan behind it, and I don't know how much Nolan's had to do with it, but maybe having Nolan in the background has caused uh, Zack Snyder to maybe be a little bit more focused and a little bit less. Well, we could do that in slow mo, and we could do that in slow mo, and we could do that in slow mo, and that could be in slow. And it just seems like maybe he's gone right. I, you know, I, I've I had the big film, I've had my vanity project. Um, and they weren't as successful as like the big film that I did, so maybe I should calm down and try and make something a little bit more together uh, with Man of Steel. So, and also, it's great to see you know these characters being less kind of um, less comic booky. I thought Superman Returns was very, very comic booky and got it got too caught up in. Um, singer's vision of it rather than um, the actual the world that it was trying to throw out there so I, I'm, I'm still very much looking forward to Man of Steel absolutely absolutely. sorry I just got an email I completely fucking forgot I ordered Life of Pi on Blu-ray and I've just had a dispatch notice from Amazon 
Christ, I didn't get... Oh, good, I did get a cent here. Sorry, I'm, I'm probably not going <laughs> to cut that out, but um, that, I fucking, I'm glad I fucking saw that, because I was planning on going to HMV and buying it tomorrow. Oh, like pie? Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's, that's quick. Yeah, 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 I know it's out tomorrow, because um, I ordered the 3D Blu-ray. To be honest, 20 quid for the 3D Blu-ray is pretty good. I'll, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, anyway, sorry. Um, but yeah, no, Man of Steel... Um, Word is Warner are like ridiculously high on it. They're very, very holy shit. We've actually got a good one here. Go, 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 go. You know, yeah. um, and, and I, I mean, all right, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy made a, butt, a buttload of money, but it, it does kind of feel like Warner need to get their shit together in terms of, the, of DC. And it's, it's interesting that Zack Snyder seems to be the person who's maybe actually done that. But, um, We'll see. The, yeah, I mean, the trailers do look like a lot, a lot of fun, and I, I'll watch it for Michael Shannon alone, frankly. Yes. Have you seen that? And this sort of, have you seen the Michael Shannon reads the Soraya in? Uh, I, I watched it about an hour ago. Uh, it I was is very slow on the uptake. Um, there's, yeah, there's one. Um, oh, I tweeted about it actually. There's one bit in that where it's a side-on profile of him, and what the fuck is he saying? I'm sorry, I've got to get this. Um, is, it, is, is it the cunt pun? <laughs> no, 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 it's not the cunt pun. It's, um... While, while Ian finds out what he was saying, um, what this oh, is... Oh, here we is, go. Sorry. Well, it's the side it's the side profile shot, and it's him screaming, and it's <laughs> like his head contorts into something else for a split second. You stupid fucking assheads! <laughs> yeah. it, oh, it's incredible. Sorry, Mark, go ahead. Um, if anyone hasn't seen it, um, type into Google um, Michael Shannon um, Shroy elect email. Honestly, it is wonderful. It is Michael Shannon reading a five-minute email uh, that a uh, sorority uh, president has sent to her fellow sorority girls telling them how shit they are. Um, but it, it, is, it, it is so angry. Um, but anyway, uh, moving swiftly on... Um, I saw a trailer for Google the Movie, uh, also known as The Internship, Fuck with that film. Fuck uh, that Vince Vaughn film. and Owen Wilson. And Fuck that film. Can I ask keep one on, question on. about it? Yeah. Can I ask one question about it? What, what is the point? Genuinely, what is the point? Vince is, Vaughn wants another car. It, it, it is, I was just watching it going... Because I, I, I watched uh, earlier in the week, uh, this week, I watched The Dilemma. Um, oh, just one of those things where I, I swung it on. And I wanted to watch it for one reason only, to see if I thought that Channing Tatum was the best thing in it. And do you know what? The he film is. Is, is only good when Channing Tatum is in it. When Channing Tatum isn't in it, it's terrible. There is not a single likeable person other than Channing Tatum, and you really shouldn't like him. But it's just the fact that he seems so nice, despite the fact that he is a bit of an arse. Uh, but yeah, the internship looks fucking terrible. Uh, I also watched the trailer for R.I.P.D., um, which looks like... Um, let's be honest, it looks like Men in Black meets Ghostbusters. But... It looks like it might be a lot of fun, but it will get panned and it will lose a shit ton of money. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I think that's about all I've watched trailer-wise. Uh, I'll, I'll add, uh, I watched the trailer for Monsters University. Oh, um, yeah. 
Apparent, apparently, early word is that it's good, but I, I just from the factory that brought you, yeah, dum, 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 dum. which says it all. Factory. From the factory that brought you, says it all. It's, I, 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 the thing is, I'm sure it will be good. I'm, I'm you know, I'm sure. And in the end of the day, uh, Pixar sequels. What have we had? Toy Story two, Toy Story three, both fantastic. Cars <laughs> two, <laughs> rancid piece of shit. Uh, what, what? And I, 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 I don't mind Toy Story three, but Toy Story two is my worst Pixar movie. Um, that's a discussion for another day. It is otherwise, we're going to get day. horribly off topic. But um, yes. <laughs> um, fuck no, wow. okay. Um, but yeah, Cars two, rancid piece of shit. Um, for me, uh, apparently you think it's better than Toy Story two. So I th- there's 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 that. Um. Monsters University. Oh, and there's our first negative iTunes review right there. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I'll go and see it because it's Pixar. Of course I'll go and see it, but I can't help but think this is one that was probably more mandated by Disney than it was by Pixar, really. But hey. But then, and then off, especially releasing trails for that off the back of the news that they're doing Finding Dory. Which is a terrible title, by the way. It is an awful, awful title. And from the sounds of it, it's just Finding Nemo, but they're finding Dory instead. Yeah. Um, Dory Dory goes somewhere and forgets where she is. She's separated from everybody else. That'll be about it. Yeah. Um, so a little bit like, you know, well, are they going to come with anything new? When's, when's that out? Is it 2015? Yeah. Right, okay. Um, yeah, anyway, and uh, finally, I watched the new trailer for Red 2, which I think looks fine. I'm not particularly looking forward to it, but I thought Red was a completely acceptable one watch, and I'll watch Red 2. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Red was a lot more fun than I ever expected it to be. Uh, I'll watch Red 2 because it might be... A- you know, it might be half as much fun. And if it's half as much fun, I'll be alright with it. There we go. Okay, and um, we have 19 minutes, so let's get straight into it. Uh, here's a clip from the trailer for Evil Dead, then we'll get into that. I, um, I... I gave her a sedative, so she should be up for a couple of hours. We should have left me a one to... Baby, please. Okay, let's not lose our heads, Okay. Any luck, it'll stop raining in a couple hours, and we'll be able to cross the creek in the morning, and we'll take her to a hospital. Mia? Mia? Mia, put the gun down. Put the gun down, please.
And we are back with our look at Fede Alvarez's remake, uh, reboot, rehash, re-re-thing of Evil Dead. Um, oh, everybody knows what this is. Uh, Mark, what did you think of Evil Dead? Hmm. It's definitely not the most terrifying film I will ever experience. Um, that's for sure. Um, it's in what way? In in the way that it's not very scary in that kind of way. Um, what I would say is, it's it. There are a few good jump scares in it, so there is that. Um, but what I will say uh, about it is that I enjoyed bits of it, but other bits felt like they were just kind of they were just throwing too much at it and. It was like, right, if we throw enough gore at it, people will miss the fact that the script really wasn't there and the story really wasn't there. And and stuff happened where I was going, well, hang on a minute. Why? I'll give you an example, right? When they get to the the cabin, right? Uh, And we're just diving straight in here, by the way. (laughs) uh, and remember, we're all spoilers all the time. All spoilers um, all the time for everything, folks. We, yeah. we we remind you of that every week, but yes. But uh, but just in case you're new, all spoilers all the time. Um, so if you haven't seen any of these films that we're reviewing, you might as well fucking wait. Um, at the start of the film, number one, why the fuck would you bring your girlfriend, who's never met your old friends and your sister, right, to what essentially is an intervention? <laughs> It's a fucking terrible. Oh, here's my sister. Um, what, what, and, and in a couple of hours, right? She's going to be on a massive come down, and she's going to go <laughs> up with colour. Hey, honey, let's go away say, for the weekend. Yeah, um, she's probably going to call you a cunt or, or, or something <laughs> like that. Um, and she will really probably point. offer um, to, like, I don't know, stick some in her own ass for your pleasure uh, for some skag. So. This is Mia. Um, and the other bit is, there's a point, right, where they open the door to this cabin that they haven't been to for years, that's never explained why they were ever there in the first place, because they clearly didn't live there, right? He then gets, right, and this is a weird thing to bring with you, right, a nail gun, right? Which is a weird thing to bring, but you could go, do you know what, he might have been going there to fix it up and stuff like that. So fair enough, he's got a nail gun to fix the door. Yet later on in the film, when they're nailing down the um, trap door, why not use the nail gun? He's got a nail gun. Why half-arse nail nails into the floor? That bugged the shit out of me for some reason. Not to mention the fact that for the entire film, I couldn't look at Shiloh Fernandez without thinking... Oh my god, he looks like if Joaquin Phoenix and Elijah Wood managed to have some kind of baby, it would look like him. So you weren't a fan then? Uh, no, I was a fan because I think there's some really fucking good <laughs> things in there. But the problem is, is when it's really good, it's really good. Yeah. And then when it's not really good, it's really shit. <laughs> I, 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 sorry, go on. And it was never, it, it was either, really, there's some really fucking good jump scares, and then there's just some plain retarded moments. The fucking nurse, right? What was her name? Was it Olivia? Was she the nurse? I don't fucking know. Um, the, the nurse. The, the, the one who was in Cloverfield. Why not? 
Um, right? At one point, she turns around and says, and they say, they need to get to the hospital. No, there's nothing they will have in a hospital that I don't have here. What? So, Apart so from four fucking nurses and doctors and actual <laughs> fucking sterilised utensils. <laughs> right? I, I, I know dots at it, the Hippocratic Oath, right, which is to give the best care it, that they can possibly give, right? I don't know if nurses have to give that, but let's assume they have to do something like that. Sure. I would say, right, all those people that died, she could get done for manslaughter because it's her fault they didn't go to a hospital. But you right? liked it. No, I didn't like bits. There's some great fucking <laughs> shit But there are some bits that just fucking played. The amount of times I was sat there going, oh, come on. Oh, you sound so angry. This is amazing. Some, some, there was just bits of like that, but then there was some out, because I was expecting it to just be war gore and no scares. But there's a bit where he goes downstairs in the basement, and she, you're expecting her to appear out of the water. And he turns round and she's there. Right. And as you've adjusted to the fact that she's there, she just kind of like scoops towards the fucking screen. That I shit myself at. Yeah. Right, what do you think? Because I've had a little rant now. What do you think? Oh, that was funny. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm several weeks removed from Evil Dead by this point. Um, uh, so I, I, I am kind of hazy. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's one of those films that, like, um, when we, because we reviewed it on Heroes, and we kind of, it's one of those ones where you talk about it, and it's just like, yeah, that was a problem, that was a problem, that was a problem. But the experience of watching it, I took great pleasure from. Um, and you're right. I mean, th- those points you brought up are both very, very, very good points. And the thing is, Fede Alvarez has been very, very keen on saying, look, we're doing something different with the setup, which, which, you know, we're trying to do something new. And I appreciate that. But if you're doing something new and you're crowing about the fact you're doing something new, then you do set yourself up for those kinds of questions and points that you're raising there, Mark. So I think that is fair enough. However, I mean, I will say as a modern horror movie, um, and I, I think it's one of the, the stronger efforts that has been released. Um, uh, of, Sorry? In terms of like remakes or reboots? Or well, just in terms of horror cinema, where horror cinema is at at the moment, like there, there is so much shite that comes out. Yeah, yeah, there, there is an absolute deluge of shite because, because horror is seen as something that it will always make its money back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's just it, it, it's easy to pour money into it. But I mean, I, 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 I but I mean, I, I think this is good. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very keen on the work of Jason Bloom, this producer who he didn't produce Evil Dead, but he produced Paranormal Activity, Insidious, Sinister, The Bay, Lords of Salem, which we'll talk about later, uh, Dark Skies. He seems to be giving a shit while also making money, which is a good combination. Uh, Sam Raimi is someone who early on didn't really seem to give a shit but made money. But na- like with films like uh, Boogeyman, uh, you know, and I mean, he, he, oh, yeah. you know, for the life of me, I can't think of other ghost house like the, 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 the remake of The Grudge and then the, the, the future Grudge films. I mean, the first one's OK, but the, the second one's bollocks, you know, but now it does seem like he gives a shit. Maybe like we drag me to hell and, and, and with this, uh, I think Alvarez does a very, very good job in in gore 
Uh, I, it's interesting you said you shit yourself. I, the thing is, when I'm in a large audience watching horror, I don't sh- tend to shit myself because I find it funny watching other people's reactions of them shitting themselves. Yeah, I mean, luckily I was, I was in, there was not a lot of people in the screening I was in, but the guy saw it a week after it had come out. I, I was in a really, really rammed word of mouth screening. So mm. like that, that, so that, that's the thing. I just like, it, it makes it the, the busier it is, the less scared I tend to get. Yeah. Um, with that yeah but i mean in terms of the the sheer gorno aspect of it and like trying to actually push the boat and see how far they can get with the rating and uh, like if this film feels like that there are moments where they must have cut out a couple of shots otherwise it would have been nc-17 time like it, it just it, it's almost oh, wallowing in the gore at some point well, it's great it, 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 it's very much an evil dead for the torture porn generation in a way you yes. know if, if you're going to get as, as fucking i don't know as pr as you can um about it i mean the the, the practical effects work on it is magnificent sure. um it's it's really good and there's a lot of gore thrown at it and there's a lot of good work going into that and you know it it looks fucking good and it's cringing it's that kind of cringing gar where you go, oh, that like it fucking hurt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, like that, that aspect, I think, is uh, improved by the fact that it it's basically all practical work. There's barely yeah, any CG, which is which is brilliant. I mean, there was another another scene where I think at one point um, the uh, girlfriend is battering the hell out of them both with a crowbar. Um, and it seems intelligent geeky guy gets his hand fucking mangled and his face mangled um and um whacking phoenix elijah wood baby boy um he seemed to get pretty much pummeled and then seemed to be perfectly fine uh just kind of got up and got, got on with shit made a defibrillator why not yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is interesting that, like, Shiloh Fernandez goes through the whole film kind of, like, not fine. really bearing the brunt of the violence. Yeah. It, it's like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo is the guy who gets it, I, even though I enjoyed that because he is the guy <laughs> who causes... He, he causes everything and he exacerbates everything, you know, yeah. like, his his character, like... Even, like, the fact that he kills Shiloh Fernandez, you know, he literally is. You take his, that character out of the equation, none of it ever, ever, ever would have happened. And I, I like the way that they play that and the fact that he is just, a, he is a bit of a dick as well. And I, 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 I enjoy Lute Lapucci's the actor. I actually, like, apart from the fact he, he just looks too much like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo for me, he, he, I thought he was fine in the film. Considering the fact that, Everyone other than Jane Levy and he are really, really bland. And Shiloh Fernandez, it, bless him, he's bland as shit in this. It's, I'm glad there was someone else other than Mia's character who I remembered. Because yeah, she's, she's very good in it. Um, and Lou Telepucci is, you know, he, he's, if you actually look back over his career, he's got a, you know, he's been in a lot of, um, sort of very sort of American indie films, you know, he was in Fast Food Nation and Southland Tales and um Beginners I think he was in, wasn't he as well? Um, okay. And uh he's got a new film coming out at the moment very soon. I was out last year but it's coming out of the here soon, uh, called The Story of Luke that looks very good. Mm. Um so you know he, he yeah, th- them two do very much add the kind of the acting weight behind it, um, Jane Levy and 
and that because Shia Fernandez and Jessica Lucas um, are a little bit bland. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, um, well, sorry, did you say Jane Levy was bland? No, I thought she. I, I thought she was very good. Oh, okay, I sorry. She, I thought she was. She was. She was entertaining. There was one scene where it, 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 it grated on me a little bit, and it was when she was doing the wide-eyed open talk really slowly and be really tense and there's something in here with us oh, and that oh, was very much uh, that felt really fucking poor that what? was it, it just felt like that was just such an it, that's been done so much in almost every modern horror film there is somebody with their eyes really wound up wide open their shoulders tensed really high up and talking really slowly and scared like and i just felt a little bit like can we just get on with like chopping someone's hand off again please because i'm a little bit fucking it, it felt like what they've done is they were making a film for horror fans for like horror geeks but it, it, it's a very broad at points in terms of the fact that it's there's these drops in it where it's like really God, that's just I expect that from a straight to DVD or straight to video on demand horror film I don't expect that from you know the new Evil Dead movie yeah well I mean I think I think there's a fair bit of um, <clears throat> excuse me I, 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 I think there's a fair bit of having to understand that, you know, with the kind of the mainstream audience, they're only going to be able to take a certain amount of yeah, it, this, it, this stuff and then having it to have it chill out for a bit. But there are just very, very definite, uh, quiet, uh, quiet portions of the film and they, they alternate. And I, I think that makes the second act in particular maybe drag a little bit more than may, maybe it should. But then the third act... Like the the burying her bit, that's pretty tense. And then just the surreal fucking climax, which, which I really really liked. Yeah, I, I, like I say, it's it, it was I liked it on a whole, and I think I like it a lot more the second time when I'm not being bugged by little bits of it. Um, but I think that it was I don't know it's. It wasn't quite as good as I expected it to be, but it was a lot better than it could have been because it could have just been a shot-for-shot fucking remake and they didn't go for that. But I think also as well at at points was they tried to not um, be too like the original Evil Dead movies while also trying to reference them quite a lot. And at points the two didn't kind of marry up. Mm. Uh, so I just I'm I enjoyed it, but I'm not sure what the point was. Because if you're not remaking it, and you're not essentially rebooting it, you're just doing another Evil Dead movie. They didn't try and do enough different. They stuck too much to the core of the first two Evil, well, the first Evil Dead movie. Uh, I think it was yourself who said, you know, that, that what a lot of people forget about the Evil Dead. It's the Evil Dead is a horror movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Evil yeah. Dead Two is a horror comedy. You know, it's a Evil Dead Two. It's a slapstick film that happens to have a lot of gore in it. Um, and then 
Army of Darkness is something completely different. Um, this manages very much to stay as being a horror movie, and it doesn't it doesn't try and throw any jokes or anything in it, which I thought was nice. Yeah, no, and it's yeah, to be honest, that that's a bit of a change as well. I mean, between this and 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 the remake, the, the you know the very good remake of Maniac, it kind of feels like there there is a surge towards maybe actually trying to make horror film remakes again like actually kind of like in indulging in in that dark stuff but still not making it feel sleazy you know and i mean like i don't think maniac feels sleazy i certainly don't think evil dead um uh feels sleazy i mean in terms of no 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 it feels it, it, you can idea they've done it for the right reasons yeah i mean in in, in yeah no absolutely i mean in terms of like the I mean, I'm glad they didn't just remake it. I mean, the the, the thing is, it's like they. I think in in their defence, they are somewhat limited by the resources they have available to them. In that, it, it's basically it's got to people be people going to a cabin. They've yeah. got to find the book and they've got to unleash the demons. Mm. You know, so like I I think having the addiction storyline, despite the, uh, the 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 flaws in the story that you you uh, very very entertainingly brought up earlier on. Um, it, 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 I, I, I appreciate that they, they did try to do something different. There are moments where it's just like, really? Like, the fact that Shaggy, like, not only, like, despite the fact that he always says, like, don't read these fucking words or whatever, um, the fact that he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't just read it out, he has to, like, take an etching and, like, rub it out and actually yeah, and, get and, the words. And, and then read it. And then he seems angry about the fact that somebody read it. Well, that's, and again, that's what you I kind of like it. about his character, because he is just a dickhead, because he never really seems to actually acknowledge the fact that he, he, he's the one, you know, which yeah. I, I just think is funny. And, 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 you know, despite the fact that his girlfriend has gone crazy and cut off half a face and then repeatedly stabbed him in the face with a hypodermic needle, he does seem very quick to kill her. There was no, like, <laughs> could go off the door and then close the door and then I could go, Right, something's happened in there. Um, we need to get somebody out here. It was, I'm going to smash her head in. Um, and at no point am I going to show any remorse for it at all. And uh, she gets forgotten about very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, she she does. She really does. It's, it, it, it's like at some point, it's like, it, like, he'll, he'll go, I'm just going to go to the toilet. And he goes and go, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's probably Burner or something. Uh, I mean, Shiloh Fernandez forgets about Blondie quite quickly as yeah, well. He does, doesn't he? He seems very happy, and it's like, oh, I give us a hug. Oh, you're alive, you're alive, and stuff like that. Oh, I bought my girlfriend. Oh, yeah. I, I, I bet he doesn't even know a second name. No. I bet he just thought, I'll, I'll take some up from, from, from the garage I work at. I'll take some up that I can fuck while everyone else is pawing over my fucking drug adult sister. Nice. I reckon that was why she was there. Um. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, aside, I don't know, aside from that, I'm just note, um, uh, noting the time. Um, I, I, mean, the, 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 I mean, the gore is very impressive. The chainsawing at the end is fucking insane. <laughs> yes. Uh, I also, oh, another thing, right? I'm sorry. This is another little bugbear, right? Why did they take a uh, electric knife? Have you ever gone anywhere and thought, ooh, Better take my electric knife with me, right? And also, that electric knife struggled to cut through a side of beef. 
right? How the fuck did it cut through her arm with very little trouble? As wonderful a shot it was. <laughs> you fucking think so much during films. It's, I, it's, I do, don't I? It's terrifying. That fucking, that's hilarious. You're right though, again, why would they, why would they have an electric knife? But, um. It, it, that's, when they were cutting through that side of beef, it was like fucking squashing down, it wasn't properly cutting it. And then she puts it to her arm, puts a bit of pressure on, and it just goes straight fucking through it. It's like it's not a fucking laser cutter. It was it just it that baffled me a little bit, and I was tempted when I got home to think, I've got an electric knife in the cupboard. Actually, I might just see how easy it breaks skin. And on that note, <laughs> right. But what I will say is, I I will say that I Evil Dead for me counts as definitely not shit. Yeah. Just at points, it's shit. I'd say definitely not shit. Overall, it's definitely not shit. Uh, Definitely not shit. I didn't think it was really particularly shit at any point. I I enjoyed it, though rewatches may bring that up more, and talking about the film may bring that up more. But um, at this point, we shall break for um, some promos, and when we get back, we'll be joined by Noel, and we'll talk some Lords of Salem. Buongiorno. Let me ask you a question. What are you doing on Saturday, June 1st, 2013? Not sure? Well, how do you fancy making it a day of violence, car chases, corruption, drugs and vengeance? For one night only, Blazing Magnum Screenings presents A Day of Crime, an exclusive screening of Mike Malloy's incredible documentary, Eurocrime, the Italian cop and gangster films that ruled the 70s, as well as two of the genre's most essential movies. This man has six million dollars worth of heroin. It belongs to the mob, and all it will cost him is his life. See Mario Adolf chased down by mob hitman Henry Silver and Woody Strode in Fernando de Leo's 1972 classic, The Italian Connection. You know what we need to beat it? A special squad with the authorized backing of the law that can fight these bastards with freedom in their own backyard. And watch as Maurizio Merli turns his back on the law to take down a brutal machine gun toting psychopath in 1976's Umberto Lenzi thriller, Rome Armed to the Teeth. I want it to be conspicuous, sensational. So join us at our 70 seat of Bespoke Cinema in Moston, Manchester for three great movies in a day of crime on Saturday, June 1st. The Italian Connection, Euro Crime, and Rome armed to the team. Doors open at 2.30pm and the show starts at 3, with trailers, shorts and soundtracks throughout the day. And there's a fully licensed bar and hot food, so your appetite for refreshment need never interrupt your appetite for violence. Tickets are available now for just £8 from wegottickets.com, and for more info, search A Day of Crime on Facebook. Maybe we'll see you there, and if we don't, maybe we'll have one of our friends pay you a visit. Miss it. You'll get a little round hole right between your eyes. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. 
it just really it's isn't. not visually striking no it's just just getting confirmation it's just in, that's the third time though I mean am I, is this on you can find us at chinstroker versus punter dot podomatic dot com so come and share the picture if you could any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. This one is a little different from most. I have no info on where this came from. All I know is the group is called the Lords. Well, I assume they're from around here, so we'll just call them the Lords of Salem. Francis, we've like to thank you for coming in. You've been a great guest. Well, thank you for having me. All right, open up the phone lines and uh, let's hear what everyone has to say. The phones are now open, so get ready to smash or trash. did you get that music from? Uh, according to our receptionist, it just appeared with nothing but a note for me. Well, it specifically came just to you. Uh, yeah, very specific. I don't know if anyone knew my real name. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. And this time we are joined by uh, Mr. Noel Meller. Say hello to the nice people, Noel. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good night. Yeah. 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 And uh, we are all here um, to discuss uh, a rather divisive film uh, that it seems to be on the critical community. Well, everything I've read so far has been that the film's a big pile of shit. Uh, but we'll get into it. This is Rob Zombie's latest, The Lords of Salem, uh, his follow-up to his two genuinely shit, in my opinion, Halloween films. We'll, we'll get into that. And uh, premiered at Toronto International Film Festival and uh, with too much apathy, is now available in the UK on DVD and also, uh, I think, probably through Sky Store, but, but definitely through uh, Virgin Media's on-demand service. Um, as Noel is the guest, let's start with Noel. Uh, what did you think of The Lords of Salem, no. Well, it was weird because I kind of watched it um, knowing I kind of watched it thinking that everybody hated it. Yeah. Um, and and so sticking it on, I was a little bit like, well, I know everybody hates this, but I was I was a fan of the Devil's Rejects. I've not seen House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, I wasn't a fan of the Halloween music videos that he made a couple of years <laughs> back. Um, so I kind of went into this thinking, well, I'm sure everybody else dislikes it, but I think I'll find something in it. Um, 
And as it turned out, I absolutely did. Um, as you say, it's like, it's totally a film that seems to have divided people, but I think, I think a lot, it, it seems to be, it seems to me from what I've got, I've like, I've gone online and had a look around and stuff like that and read some reviews after watching it. And it feels a little bit like the, 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 uh, the, the reviews and, and people's thoughts about it are, I'd say about 70% negative and about 30% positive. Roughly, um, so I was kind of, um, yeah, I was kind of surprised to to like it quite as much as I did. I think it's got things in it that are interesting. I think it's got things in it that need a bit of work. Um, I think it's got things in it that really don't work at all, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into more. But overall, as a modern horror film, and maybe that's just because, and maybe it's just because there's so much Frank frankly shit out there at the moment what was I Mark what was I just saying about 15 minutes ago about Evil Dead (laughs) like no I just said exactly the same in reference to Evil Dead yeah well I mean the thing is at the moment is every time I think about sort of like modern horror and what's going on at the moment and what stuff's out there it's quite a bleak like and I I feel like a lot of I feel like a lot of my feeling uh, like that comes from the ABCs of death, like yeah. having seen that. I just feel like there's not much out there at the moment and there's not much going on that interests me. Um, just because that whole sort of like club of people, um, seems to be the only apparently like, you know, guiding lights of, of, of the genre. But, you know, it, it, Rob Zombie's a, a completely divisive customer. He's not always great. Sometimes he's terrible. Sometimes he's good. Sometimes he references old stuff that I like. Sometimes he does it well. Sometimes he doesn't. And that's exactly what this film is. It's a, it's that whole package. That it's the whole package of Rob Zombie doing some good stuff, doing some bad stuff, referencing some old stuff, and at the same time throwing in some of the things that you're used to seeing from him. That frankly, most people either love or hate. But I enjoyed it. I had a great time with it. No, uh, Mark. Sorry, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a big um, Rob Zombie fan. Um, I would never proclaim that uh, Halloween and Halloween Two are good movies, um, but I, I enjoyed them to an extent, possibly because I like uh, Rob Zombie's aesthetic that he tries to build. You know, he very much has a he has a style um, at least where they're very much noticeable as Rob Zombie films. Uh, granted, his style is um, it, it, it bits that he's kind of magpied off other directors, uh, essentially. Um, but, you know, you could argue the same thing about Quentin Tarantino. I'm not saying that Rob Zombie is as good a director as Quentin Tarantino, but it, it's a similar kind of world-building. Of Instead of building your own world, you, you take pieces of other worlds that you like and you create your own kind of world within that and that's what Rob Zombie has, has done throughout his, his career he went too far with that with um, Halloween and Halloween 2 by basically stepping into someone's world and then trying to make it his own world and that didn't quite work but if you take his first two films House of Thousand Cops and Devil's Rejects uh, what he was doing there is he was trying to create these um, very kind of grindhouse um, sort of pre um certification um, sort of horror movies where it was all based on gore and griminess and they were shot really quickly and it was it was all that kind of stuff 
what he seems to have done with Lords of Salem is he seems to have gone right. I'm gonna put that behind me, um, and I think like Noah was saying, um, his films a lot of the time were too music video-y, and in Lords of Salem he's gone right. Instead of making stuff like House by the Cemetery and um, and stuff like that, and picking from that kind of pond of horror, he's looked at sort of more films like Devils and Rosemary's Baby and stuff like that, and has gone. I want to make something more that less less gore based and more sort of supernatural and mood creating and tension based, etc., and stuff like that. And that's what I enjoyed about Lords of Salem is it was a little bit more sedate than his other movies. It still had that feel and that tone and that, that griminess, but it wasn't as manic as his as his as his earlier work. Um, and I I expected to like it because I like his films. Um, but I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. What did you think, Ian? Yeah, I, I, I actually mirror that. And it's interesting that um, Noel said he, he, he thought the reviews out there have been about 30% positive, 70% negative, because on, on Dude and the Monkey, it's going to be 100% positive. Uh, and I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say this is my pleasant surprise of the year thus far. I fully expected this to be like down there with my worst films of the year. I'm like, I, I'm not into Rob Zombie's uh, stuff at all. But I think it's that point that you you raised there, Mark, about about the fact that it is more sedate. Because the thing is, a, 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 a small bit of Rob Zombie at his most Rob Zombie goes a long way, I think. Mm. And I think this film very, very wisely keeps most of it to the last 15 minutes. And because it's quite small in there i enjoyed uh, quite a bit of that stuff but also having it peppered every now and then through the rest of the film is fine and some of my highlights of this film are the moments where like the crazy stuff comes crashing in uh, i mean th- this film for me is most no it, it well not most notable but one of the most notable things about it is the fact that it's got two of my favorite jump scares of recent memory one probably intentionally one probably completely not intentionally because it's hilarious um the her on the bed and then it pans to the side and it it, it kind of like it it kind of swings round past her bed and then you've got the demonic dwarf guy (laughs) and it's like boom you know as it's as it as it's shown is incredible it is brilliant but like but unintentionally so but then there's uh the moment early on i think it's when she's like she's she goes into that room for the first time and the cross is there and she's putting her hands out and it's like there's a a flat it, it, it it's kind of showing the 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 like a lake or something like that and then it's it's rather sedate. And then suddenly it's just like this really, really loud noise with um uh with this kind of demonic image comes up and it scared the living shit out of me. And, and I mean like ju- loud noise jump scares are very, very lazy usually. But when they're built up to as well as that, like they properly have you in their grasp and you just fall for it. I'm like, all right, fair enough. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I like the film and I like the fact that 
it, it, it starts off quietly and it lets it ramp up. And a lot of it is kind of classical witchcraft, Satanist kind of stuff. Mm. But with wanking bishops. <laughs> yeah, um, I think... I get the feeling that a lot of the time with, with Rob Zombie, he's, he's become such a, defi- a, a divisive person within horror that I think a lot of the time with Rob Zombie, with this film, people were sitting down going, right, I'm ready to hate this. And were just looking for the points. I mean, a big point that I've seen in a lot of reviews is, um, oh, well, you know, why does he have to keep casting his wife in films? And let's be honest, Sherry Moon isn't the best actress out there. Um, she's not. But, you know, it, it, it's very rare you get fucking classic Oscar winning performances in horror films. You know, it's it, it's often the least of a horror film's problem is whether the actors are convincing or not. And I thought in this, she was there was a few moments where she wobbled a little bit. But I thought overall, for essentially being the main character and the person who carried the film, I thought she was pretty decent, to be honest. See, but that's exactly the thing, though. Like, this film is really... You know, Rob Zombie is, like, notoriously not that fucking bothered about what people think. He's going to continue yeah. to make the films that he wants to make. Um, and this is clearly... After the Halloween films, this is clearly, you know something that he wants to do that's his own sort of thing, and he's going to put his wife in there. And this is a movie that's designed to serve a certain community and serve a certain demographic, and um, within that community, people will either like it or they won't like it. So he might as well have Sherry Moon in it. I think she's, I think she's fine in this, but the point is, is she only ever really needs to be fine. Like... He's not gonna like. Who else was he gonna? He's not gonna cast Natalie Portman. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just not gonna happen. No, yeah, exactly. That's that's gonna be involved in this project, and to just pick somebody else because you know what? Everybody's been on my case about casting my wife in this. Like, why would he bother? Like, why go out and find some nineteen-year-old suicide girl to to appear in this movie who can't fucking act for toffee when he's already been directing this woman and knows her inside out, literally, I would assume. Like, you know, he knows her, he knows what her acting style's like, she knows how to work with him and stuff like that. Why not? Why wouldn't he cast her? That's exactly, yeah. fair, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, she's she's become, a, you know, a staple of his movies now. Um, you know, his movies are always going to have um, his wife in it. He's always going to find a way to put Sid Hager in them. He's always going to... You're always going to see people from horror movies that he likes crop up in his films. That's that's what he does. And he, yeah. like, you know, says he, he outright... He he doesn't care what people think of his movies. What he's going to do is he's going to make them and he's going to put them out there and if people... And he's going to go, right, do you know what? Some people are going to really like this. A lot of people aren't. But I'm not making it for the people who don't like it. I'm making it for the, me and the people who do like it. And it's part of that I think must come from the fact of the you know the type of music that Rob Zombie has been doing and White Zombie did is you don't sit down you know granted some bands but doing the type of music that Rob Zombie did and that White Zombie did is you don't sit down and record a song and go right are people going to like that song? You yeah. sit down and you record a song and you go fuck it, that's going on the album. We think that's great. And you do it like that. 
they're not going to sit there and say, well, do you think people like the bit where we do that? Or do you think people like the bit where we sing about God's cock? And stuff like that. There's no point in doing it's, that. He's not making... You can't say no. It's trusting, it's trusting in your own, in your own art and pushing buttons. And that's exactly, you've nailed it on the head there. That's exactly what he's, you know, that's what, exactly what artists of this nature do in their music. And then he takes that to film. And, you know, to a degree, like, he's only really doing what Kevin Smith has done for years. However, he's doing it within a smaller community. And just going, well, this is this, and I'm not bothered about, you know, he's, he's not running 20 different podcasts, and he's not fucking telling everybody his opinion about everything all the time. It's just, he's now operating in this space, he's comfortable in doing what he's doing, and he's gonna carry on doing it. And, and the moment that he, the moment that he steps away from doing what he's doing, and, you know, I don't know, goes and does a fucking, um, remake of, I don't know, fucking inseminoid or something <laughs> like. If it just, just like if the, the moment that he sort of like steps away from doing his own thing, that's his own little world, and takes the big box to do a remake of some forgotten sort of eighties movie or, or, or you know, beloved cult eighties movie for God's sake, anything. I think that's when he'll stumble. I think he should carry on as he is, and he yeah. should just progress and get slightly better, and you know, keep doing what he's doing because. He's a little hit and miss, and he's, you know, to a degree, he's taken the big bucks with the with the Halloween movies, and they failed, um, f- you know, for me anyway. Um, and he's he's gone back to doing something that's a little bit smaller, a little bit more niche, a little bit less well known or, or bankable, and a lot more arty and a lot more artistic, and that's fine. I mean, I think with with the Halloween one is. is he he pushed for making the Halloween uh, remake, and he very much wanted to make it. And he was, you know, he, he's a big fan of, of Halloween, and you know, he spoke to John Carpenter about it. And he, you know, but he was very quick to say, "I wasn't asking for John Carpenter's permission to make it. You know, I was going to make it anyway. Um, but you know, I wanted to talk to John Carpenter about it to see, you know, what he thought about it. And John Carpenter is perfectly happy for him to remake his movies." But I mean, Halloween 2, he was very, he didn't really want to do it, and then he ended up doing it, and you get a feeling when you're watching it, like, he wasn't really that fucking interested until the last 15 minutes where it goes a little bit batshit. I, 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 the, the impression I get with Halloween 2 is that he was just... It, it was kind of weirdly like Gremlins 2, the new batch, where the studio wanted a sequel so bad that Joe Tante was like, all right, I'll do you a sequel... But I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. You know, I'm I'm going to just basically I'm going to take the piss. And I get that feeling with Halloween, too, that he was just like, all right, Weinstein Company, you want a fucking sequel? Here you go. I'm going to introduce mythology about white horses. Mm. And, you know, I'm going to have Michael Myers take his mask off and just beat people to death. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very much it, it. it did seem very sort of redundant that, that one, and then Lord of Salem feels like he, he's he's gone right. Oh, great, I'm making a movie that essentially nobody gives a shit about, you know. And I can just I can get on with making the movie and go right. Here's the movie. You go and do what you're going to do with that movie, Mr. Distribution Company man. Um, I'm going to go on tour now, um, and then in two three years time maybe I'll do another movie. 
Well, I mean, I, I, I um, and I mentioned this guy earlier on when we did Evil Dead, so apologies, Noel, but I was talking about uh, Jason Bloom briefly, who's this producer who uh, is behind the Paranormal Activity films, Insidious, Sinister, The Bay, Dark Skies, uh, and Lords of Salem. Uh, and he is very much about, um, all right, obviously I want to make money and I want to be successful, but I do actually give a shit. I do give a shit about the genre as well. And apparently he said to Rob Zombie, I will put up the money for you. You make the film you want to make. You know, obviously, if it's unreleasable, then I may have some problems with it, you know, and I might ask for some stuff to be cut. But, you know, as long as you keep it in the boundaries of, like, R-rated and releasable, do what you want. Mm. And that that's what this film feels like. And a lot of the negativity that I've sort of, you know, since watching it, I, I, had, to, I had to watch it in um, in two bursts. But that was not for any other reason than I was watching it last night uh, and it was late. I've been I've been away for a few days. Claire's away now. Um, and I sat down. I thought I'm going to sit here. I'm going to relax. I'm going to have a bottle of wine. I'm going to stick Lords of Salem on. It was quite late. And as, about 10 or 15 minutes into the film, I was like, shit, maybe I should have waited a little bit. I'm really quite tired and I'm getting through this wine quite quickly. But I just didn't want to leave it. I didn't want to. I wanted to finish it. And it was only an hour in where I was like, you know what? You will enjoy this an awful lot more if you just fucking go to bed now and pick it up again in the morning. Um, but I think what helped is I was in the perfect frame of mind because as soon as I stuck it on, from the very first scene, um, the sound really got me. The and I was like, awesome. Yeah, and I, I immediately went... Oh shit, I should, cause I think like the light was on behind me and it wasn't particularly loud and I was like, I'll just stick it on. I sat down sort of thing. I was like, Oh, hang on a minute actually. Hang on a minute. I'm going to press pause. I'm going to have a cigarette. I'm going to turn off the light. I'm going to turn the fucking volume up because this seems like it might actually be alright. And then I sat down and I was immediately into it and, and just, just the, the, the visual of it, the audio of it really fucking worked for me. And I think, what I was what I was initially going to say a lot of the criticism um, that I've seen about this is that you know there's an awful lot going on visually but there's not really that much going on in terms of story and there's not really that much going on in terms of acting and stuff like that my response to that would be I don't necessarily know that there needs to be. It's a simple story. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a visually it, it's it's a, yeah, it's a horror movie exactly. It's, it's it's a horror movie. It's a witch movie. It doesn't need to have an awful lot going on. It needs to be visually interesting. It needs to be atmospheric. Uh, the acting needs to be okay, um, and the people holding it all together need to be, um, you know. They need to be fine. They don't need to be any more than that. And I think what's happened here is Rob Zombie's gone into something that's had a, a fairly minimal script and he's gone, I'm going to play around with some visuals, I'm going to play around with some audio and I'm going to make a relatively artistic movie that's drawing on some things from the past from, you know, 70s uh, Italian cinema and 80s genre cinema and stuff like that. And he's tied it all together in one package and it's fine. Like, it's... It's so much better than a lot of the other shit that we're getting dealt that I find it difficult to get, um, I find it difficult to be, to be disappointed with what I was watching. He manages to not be overtly flashy, uh, in it. He goes, you know, he goes very kind of like 
okay, that's fucking weird. But it's never, you know, it's yeah. never um, intentionally weird. It's like he's gone, right, I want it to go through these doors, but I want it to be like a big fucking stately home, and I want it to be a weird little devil guy there. And it's not like he's gone, do you know what would be weird? If they open the doors and it was like a big stately home, and then if there's like a weird little devil guy there, and it's like like he's had an idea and gone right for some reason I want it to go into this. I I this will look good, and I think this will this will be fucking cool. And then this rather than going, what would be weird here? I will um, say I I would disagree slightly in that in that the last ten minutes I think there is a little bit of wouldn't this be fucking weird? Like, the kind of cartoony stuff and the wanking yeah. bishops. In yeah, fe- yeah. You know, it, it well, does... The wanking bishops, I'll give you that one, yeah. Fair it, enough. Yeah. It, it just... It, it does... It, it, like, it, it, there's that stuff. But then there's that fucking awesome image of uh, Sherry Moon Zombie with, like, her eyes whited out. Yeah. And she is... Was she... Stra- she's on that goat. Is it the goat that she's on? Uh, yeah. I think that's, like... The, there's the bit where she's riding... In the goat and everything's kind of gotten a bit crazy. And then, did you mean that bit, or did you mean no, the bit no. at the very end the, the where bit she's at the very kind end. of like she's sort of become this deity because she's given birth to to whatever you know is the next is the the the, the coming of of sort of Salem sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, no, but there's you know let's not let's not fuck about. There are visuals in this that are crazy, and there are visuals in this that maybe do go a touch too far at times. And obviously, the wanking bishops are definitely one of them. But yeah, I think I, over I, I, I kind of a little bit forgot about the wanking bishops for a second. Then I remembered, oh yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing is, is the, vi- the some of the visuals that are a little bit heavy-handed. If you wanna if you wanna go that far in the film, are kind of spread out and. There are moments of, there are moments of, and like, Mark, you said it at the beginning of the review, um, you know, that this is kind of a sedate film, certainly for Rob Zombie. And I think that absolutely helps because there's, there are sort of long moments of, of not, not nothing going on, but just long moments of just letting things breathe and stuff like that. So when things do get into more, um, dreamy, sort of trippy kind of areas, the horror is allowed, you know, the, the genre stuff is allowed to just just eke out a little bit more, and it all feels quite balanced. It absolutely, when it gets to the end, it does get a bit crazy. But for fuck's sake, I would hope that it does. Like, you know, you, you I'd want that sort of thing. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I, and in fairness, I think I would. I, I, I liked I liked the ending. It's just there were a couple of bits where I was like, oh, I'm not too into that. Yeah, yeah. But but like I, I I would prefer that because it's kind of built up that the the kind of the is he isn't he boyfriend guy is gonna maybe try and save the day. Mm. And and I was just like, oh, is it really gonna go in that direction? And then she just says goodbye to him, and then the stage door closes, and you never see him or Ken Foree again. It's just, it's, it's just the crazy stuff. And I appreciated that, because they build that guy up, and they build him up, and they build him up. It's like Bruce Davison as well. They build him up, they build him up, they build him up, and then they're just out of the picture. Yeah. And there's no, there's no sort of like, there's, there's, there's nothing to, to try and save the day at the end of it. And like, that's one of the reasons that I appreciate it. However, I think it is, you could argue that it's sort of a failing of the scripts and stuff. It's just like, once she's in there, the door shuts, 
and everything that was supposed to happen happens. And nobody, like, I mean, what happened to Ken Foray and, and, and the boyfriend character and, and the investigator character there? Did they all just go home? Like, did they just go, oh, well, fuck it, the door's shut. I'll, should we just, <laughs> should we go and get some pizza? Or, like, do you know what I mean? It's. You know what? I, I think that is probably exactly what happened. They just went and got some pizza. That's what <laughs> I'd do if it was me. Yeah. They're like, oh, she's going to go and buy some skag, isn't she? Um, I can't bother with this. Let's go to pizza. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd like, and I mean, uh, like, Mark went very, very in depth on some um, some plot questions he had about Evil Dead earlier on, though. So I'll direct you to that review. But he, we were talking about just like thinking about things during during horror films, mm. and my big question was, how did they set up the gig with the Lords of Salem? Like, did they phone their manager? Like, was the Demon Dwarf their manager? And he was like. Yes, we will play at You the... heard that I will take 20%. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The lords will have Mountain Dew in their rider. You know, like, just, how would that work? I want to see the deleted scene where Ken Forey has a conversation <laughs> with the lords manager about the contents of their rider. Well, apparently there is a uh, there is an awful lot of stuff that was cut from the film because um, Udo Kier was in the film and um, there was a bunch of other people that were involved in the film and apparently there's a whole subplot that was cut out because um, I forget the name of the actor but uh, there was one actor that was involved in the production. However, he died during the making of the film and so a whole subplot or other interesting thing was kind of completely chopped out of it i have no idea how much that is or how much that was but i don't know i'd be interested to find out more and the other thing as well is i can i as i say i watched this up until i think i watched 60 minutes of it last night and half an hour of it this morning and if you kind of think that's roughly about the time that that's rough well it's the third act like that's you know the third act where we sort of move into sort of like you know, the witches are doing what they're doing. They've influenced her in whatever way that they have. And then it's gig time. So I'm a little bit disjointed about what happened there anyway. But you know what? I'll be watching this again. Like, I, I will definitely be watching this again just because I want to sort of tie those things up. And I, I, I will try and find out for myself, for my own reasons, what that what the parts of the film are that were kind of cut out. Because I think there might be a... I think there might be more... Interesting the novelization, stuff. I think, coming out of it. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. I think I'm looking at it here, actually. Uh, uh, William B. Levison, Everson. Yes. With, uh, oh, sorry, with B. M. Everson. I'm, I'm looking at one. B. K. Everson, um, who, yeah. who was kind of like, who was around set and is, is friends with with Rob Zombie and came up with a few sort of the ideas for it. Um, uh, it really wouldn't surprise me if at some point Zombie ends up releasing, you know, a a, a, a director's cut of it. Um, he is a bit of a fan of the director's cut. I, uh, I'd yeah, love to see it. Apparently, though, that the, oh, I should find out the fucking name of the guy, but like, um, what that one of the people who was entirely cut out of the movie. Um, sorry, I'm just looking through my phone because I was reading it earlier when I was in the pub over the road. Um, but apparently, yeah, one of the actors who was supposed to be in it, who died during its production, um, you know, only got so far through filming. So there are scenes that they never got to shoot. Um, so basically it was like, right, well, that whole subplot 
has to go because we've got nothing to to tie it all up and finish it. So, so if there is a director's cut, I don't know if it will have the full story. Story the full I, vision. We, yeah, I mean, we could be talking about something absolutely minor here. Like it could be absolutely. It was Richard Lynch. Richard Lynch. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So it, it could be something very, very small. I don't know, but um, I would have been interested to sort of find out more. Um, yeah. Which, which is saying something because I think if if you'd have said at the start of the start of the year uh, one of the films that you'll be talking about um, the three of you that you that you all really enjoyed will be the Lords of Salem, I'd have been would have all gone really that and like the fourth Universal Soldier sequel yeah you know? yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely mind blowing. It, it is, but it's one of those things where it's it's always nice to be surprised by a movie. I I'm one of these people. I don't like not liking films. Um, I, you know that's why no matter what I watch, it's very. I always try and find at least something positive about a film. I never like to say really that uh, a film was shit, an outright shit. So I actually like I, I I enjoy watching films and I like enjoying films, and I'm I'm glad that. With Lords of Salem, it isn't just me on my own going. I liked it. I also, I also like to be surprised though, and I also like it when you know a film that I, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting it to be shit, but I wasn't expecting it to be uh, to be great. And so to stick it on and immediately get a sense, you know, I, I love I love a horror movie that can do good aesthetics and can make me feel like I'm in the middle of something. And sound plays a big part of that. And just interesting visuals play a, play a big part of that. You know, look at my review of Excision last year, a film that divided people as well, but it was that type of thing. To 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 sit down with to sit down with Lords of Salem and immediately go, oh shit, oh right, this is going to be that kind of, oh this is going to be this kind of thing then. Oh okay, right, yeah, this is yeah, this is good. To 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 have that and to then be surprised by something that. A, a guy like Rob Zombie, Rob Zombie has done is is great, man. It's, it's good to have those little treats every now and again when you're not expecting them. Also, I think it, it, it's nice because at the moment, a lot of sort of horror that we're getting at the moment is very similar. It's very much they're going back to this um, early eighties and mid eighties practical gore aesthetic, which I think is a great thing. You know, it's a lot better than the CGI gore, but. We tend to get a lot of horror stories at the moment that are very similar. Um, we're getting a lot of sort of, you know, the vampire movies starting to make their way back, but that's very much a certain type of horror that isn't really horror. And then we're getting a lot of sort of zombie movies and a lot of remakes, stuff like that. It's nice to get something that isn't so gore-based and is, very, like you said, no, it's very atmosphere-based and it's it's about witches and stuff, you know, and the supernatural. And we we haven't had a witches movie in quite a while, or a good witches movie in quite a while. Absolutely. So um, I think, and pretty much on time for Noel as well. I think that's uh, pretty much what we got to say about the Lords of Salem. Um, sadly, only out on DVD in the UK. Momentum haven't given it a Blu-ray release, which probably. It is probably just because of the limited audience of the film, but it's uh, yeah, definitely, definitely worth a watch, and definitely not shit. Nope, definitely not shit. Definitely not shit, no. And uh, no, before you go, uh, I just want to ask: on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you by the fact that Possession is getting a Blu-ray release in the UK? 
let's put it this way. I'm in. I'm unusually. I'm in my living room right now do, doing a podcast because we're moving shortly, and I'm looking right in the corner of the room, and there's a hard drive, and there's a media player, and there's a, a, a Humax uh, uh, UView situation. There is no Blu-ray player. There isn't even a DVD player in my living room at the moment. However, I'll buy a Blu-ray player just to get that that version of Possession. Because, first of all, I would love to see that film in HD. Second of all, and I haven't looked into this yet, I don't know what ta- I don't know what cut it is that's going to be on that Blu-ray. It's got to be. It's got to be. It the will full have cut. to be the full it, it, cut. It, I would imagine. What I'll say is, it's second sight that are doing it. I've got basically all the second sight titles mm. to uh, review for them. Um, they are fucking good. I mean, they are arrow level of good at what they do um, with these, their versions, their releases um, of Scanners um, and um, Return of the Living Dead were both fucking brilliant. And well, I mean, not, not, only do I, not only do I love that film, but I love the weird sort of history of that film as well. There's, you know, it's a strange film that got caught up in the nasties thing, and they seem to have addressed that with some of the features, the special features that are on the Blu-ray. So it's a fucking no-brainer for me. Like if it means I've got to go out and, and just buy a, you know, a seventy quid Blu-ray player or something, and then buy the the Blu-ray, I'm essentially paying ninety quid for a just to, just to watch those special features. But fuck it. Yeah, I mean, one of them is. One of them is, uh, is an actual t- documentary on the on UK and stuff yeah. like that. You know, yeah. like I said, the second sight, um, you know, their work, their, their work on stuff is, is fucking brilliant. What's the release date on that? I can't remember. They haven't set one. They haven't set one. one. Uh, it, it's scheduled. I've heard it'll be August time. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm all in. All in for that. Nice. And if um, anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, um, just Google Sam Neill possession trailer. Mm. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much, Noel. Um, and uh, have you got anything to pimp or anything like that at the moment, buds? No, not really, mate, because I'm not kind of podcasting at the moment. Uh, or I, I'm, I'm in the middle of moving house and stuff like that. So I'm kind of finished. I'm, I'm doing book work and stuff like that and doing adventures in VHS stuff. I'm toying with the idea of doing a anniversary version of the podcast because um, in a few weeks' time it'll be a year uh, since I started Adventures in VHS, the podcast, and I've kind of been given a little bit of an interesting interview opportunity that may allow me to sort of watch a couple of movies from a certain actor that I've never gotten around to in the past, so I'm toying with, with that idea, um, so I don't know, keep an eye out for that, but apart from that I'm not really doing that much, so... Nice, and uh, Noel is also going to be back on 35mm Heroes this week, where we will be doing our full spoiler review of Iron Man 3. Uh, Noel, yes, have, yes. You, have you seen it? Oh, yeah, 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 sorry, yesterday uh, okay. morning. Yeah. Fair enough, all right, uh, I'll uh, speak to you tomorrow about it then, but uh, thank you, Noel. Fabulous, Cheers, thank Noel. you very much, bye. Speak to you next week. <laughs>
from this ranch that's falling apart. I caught you on the right day, then. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, so yeah, and we're back. And uh, thanks again to Noel. Um, and let's carry on. So uh, the third out of our four reviews, as we just trundle on through them, is uh, Terence Malick's To the Wonder. Uh, came out on VOD in the US uh, a few weeks back. Uh, should be hitting Blu-ray in the UK in the next couple of months. Uh, Mark, what did you think of? Terence Malick's To The Wonder. Um, I'm a, a huge, uh, unapologetic Terence Malick fan. Um, I like his approach to film. Uh, I like the way that essentially he tries to make, and I'm going to get a really fucking pretentious here, uh, he tries to make a version of kind of visual poetry. Um, he isn't bothered about sort of story about script or anything like that he very much wants the visuals to tell um, a story which is very much what he wanted to do with um, Tree of Life and for the large part um, he, he succeeded with that um, it's also very strange to have a Terence Malick film so soon after um, a previous Terence Malick film because usually you know they you know they can be anything from 5 to 20 years um, between films so it's strange to get one only just over a year afterwards um, I think To The Wonder um, is stunning in places um, but often it can be a little bit too meandering and the story that's going on sometimes is is more interesting than some of the visuals that are just kind of are showing you the story, and you know there is there is. It's fair to say there is virtually no script in this film. Would you agree? Oh yes, yeah. I mean, even the voiceovers just feel like stuff Malik's throwing at them to say. Yeah, I, I, I you, honestly, I would say you could watch this film with no sound, or and you would still get, I would say, 
70% of the same experience as you would of watching it with sound. In places, it would improve the experience. Yes. Um, it's where, where often, because it's often, it's very similar in the same case as, as Tree of Life, portions of Tree of Life, where the thing with Tree of Life is, is Tree of Life is so unbelievably beautiful. Um, for practically its entire running time, it manages to circumvent that being a problem, whereas I think at points to the wonder isn't as beautiful as Terence Malick thinks it actually is. And so there are points where you're going, okay, right, I like the feel, I like the industrialness, I like that, but um, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I've seen enough of Oliver Kurokenko skipping uh, in a garden. Um, it's very beautiful, it's very wonderfully shot and very well lit and everything like that, and that's very nice. But when you start hitting the seventh or eighth or ninth or tenth bit of it, it's kind of, right, can we go back to that field again? Or can you show me more of them on a beach? Something like that. It, I, I felt that it did seem like Malik had an idea um, and, you know, he liked the fact that maybe Tree of Life was a cathartic experience for him because it was partially autobiographical, um, that he then thought, right, I, I, I want to have that cathartic experience, but I want to relate it to, you know, a relationship that I had. Um, and I want to I wanna show that and maybe get visually some stuff off his chest. Um and then it was released, but it, it doesn't quite hit the same notes as his other films. Um, again, I'm not saying it, it, it's it's put in a different way to the Evil Dead. It's not bad, but it's it's certainly his least cohesive film. And when it's Terence Malick's least cohesive film, then you know it's it's skirting on the edge of being right. There needs to be more. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say I'm I, I very much like Terence uh, Malick's films as well. I, I've I've enjoyed all of them thus far greatly. Well, uh, up to to the wonder anyway, um, which is I don't know probably a clue. Um, it it feels to me like I, I mean it, it, the big thing about Terence Malick is you know he shoots loads of stuff and then he finds his films in the edit. And yeah. It feels to me like almost, even though I know this wasn't, this can't have been the case, but all, it feels like it was almost in a rush to meet a release date. He tried to find the film and just couldn't. Um, it, 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 because the, it, it doesn't, the, the thing, the, the, the things that the film has to say, I, I just, I don't think they're that worth talking about, or at least, they're not made worth talking about in this film. Uh, even though there are, there are bits that, um, that, that are, like you say, stunning. I mean, I, I'll say I was really, really into it for the first half hour. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll absolutely agree with that. I was very much transfixed by it and very much saying, like, I, I was very aware that nothing was happening. I was very aware of that, but it's, it's flaw and it's, um, its feel kind of got you and it does 
it kind of transfixes you and you're I was very much on board pretty much up until they moved brought the daughter into it really and that's when it kind of started to uh, to, to drop for me. I it, it kind of started to drop for me basically. I mean, maybe it was more than half an hour. Basically, when Olga Kurilenko went back to Paris, um, because you've got because up to that point, Affleck's character, it kind of feels like okay, maybe he is going to do some more stuff other than saying a couple of words and looking in a random direction. Um, but that is basically all he gets to do in this film. Uh, there's there's one moment where his character expresses some extreme emotion, uh, which I thought was one of the most memorable moments of the film, just because it was something happening in the context of the story. It was something that felt real and raw, whereas the rest of it is basically creating a really pretty screensaver. And, you know, detractors of Terence Malick's work have said that a lot about his work, but it always feels like there's there's content in there. Like the Tree of Life is a wonderful essay on growing up and how you take the experiences of everything around you in. How you, uh, as a child and growing up, you you form them in yourself and then how you express that. You know, and like the, the, the sheer relationship between, um, Sean Penn and Hunter McCracken, I think the kid actor's name in, in that film, uh, it, 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 it's marvellous. The worst part of Tree of Life for me is the last 15 minutes of the film. And, yeah, it should have ended before it went to the beat. Yeah, and to the wonder kind of feels like that 15 minutes of Tree of Life stretched out for an entire film, where yeah. it's a lot of imagery which looks beautiful and feels like it should be signifying an awful lot, but it's not. Mm. I mean, the, the fact that there, there was a lot of people cut from the... I mean, there's always people cut from Terence Malick movies, because like you were just saying, um, he does shoot a lot of footage, and then, then he creates the film. Um, but, you know, you know, just a, a few people that were cut from it, you know, Rachel Weisz was cut from it, uh, and Jessica Chastain was cut from it, um, as were a few other people. Um, and it's impossible to work out where they would have been in it, who they would have been in it. Because there's no characters. Yeah. You know, um, there's no, there's no real, you get a feel of what's happened, but there's no, there's no connection to be made. Whereas because in Tree of Life there are, these characters are fleshed out a little bit more. You know what their point is. You know who they are. And you know where these conflicts are, um, you get an idea of what the conflicts are between um, Baffleck and um, Olga Kurokenko, um, but you, it's never confirmed. And I'm not saying they have to explain it, but it, it's... I think you could have somebody, one person could watch this movie and see Ben Affleck as being a bit of an arsehole that took this beautiful woman from... France and brought her to America, and then the minute he was bored with her, sent her back while he had while he went off with another woman. And other ones could say, "Well, I don't. It, was he just bored, or what? Or and it it seems like Olga Kurokenko's character is broken, but why is she that, broken? That's that's one of the key problems of the film for me. 
she, yeah, she is broken and she is damaged, obviously, and she she seems incredibly flighty and she's just unhappy anywhere, basically. Like she she hates America and then she goes back to Paris and then she hates Paris and then she goes back to America and then she's unhappy again and that's it. There's never why. There's never any and I it's not like I need it spelt out in expositionly dialogue or anything like that. I just need a sense through the filmmaking of why this stuff is happening. Like the scene where she shags that other guy, it's like. It, okay, it, you fit, it feels like you're self-destructive. It, it feels, it, it, like you say, broken. That, but that's me having to basically use the, the conventions of like other films for, alright, characters go off and shag other random men because they're unhappy and they feel unfulfilled. Oh, she's unhappy and she feels unfulfilled. There's there's nothing really in, in the film that says that to me. I mean, yes, alright, Affleck's character is yeah but the, the thing is you don't know anything as character he's either no. stoic or he's just emotionally stunted or or, or he, he he's one of these weird angry possessive guys you know I, I, it, it could be any of them Terrence, yeah it, other bits that Terence Malick's not showing us that he's cut when he beats the hell out of her or whatever you know it, you don't know is he like you say is he stoic or is he is he Keeping her as a possession. That, 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 yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly like he, it. Yeah, like like he went to France and he he, he met this girl that had a fleeting romance and thought, well, I enjoyed that, so I'm going to take it home and keep it as my toy, essentially. But you, you, know? you but you don't you don't know that. All you see is him looking in random directions and then him at work. Yeah, I mean, his job is probably the most interesting thing about the movie. Yeah, yeah, quite. Well, yeah, quite. I, and and then, I mean, then you've also got Javier Bardem's character. And, and completely it, pointless. Yeah, it is. It's completely pointless. His crisis of faith. And the thing mm. is, it's built up pretty well. The idea of a priest who's going through the motions and is kind of just losing sight of what it is that keeps him doing this. You know, there, mm. there's that scene earlier on where the... Uh, the guy's in there and he's talking about spiritual light. He's like, I can feel the warmth, but it's not just the warmth from the sun. There's like a, a spiritual warmth as well. And, and and that, I really, really like that moment. But then the rest of it is Javier Bardem doing sermons, him looking maudlin outside of his home, and him talking to, I don't know, real-life pe- ill people. And then mm. at the end, he has a speech about how he's managed to find God again. Yeah, it, it just—he—he he seemed like if—if—if if, if that bit wasn't his character wasn't in there, wouldn't have made a difference. No, wouldn't have made a difference at all to the film. And the same thing could be said about um, Rachel McAdams. Oh God, yeah, her part uh, was way smaller than I thought it would be. Yeah, and she just she didn't. I didn't miss something, did I? She just stops being in it, doesn't she? Yeah, there's... I think she says to him at one point about... She mentions Kurilenko's character. Mm. And then... And, like, she's coming back or something, or I don't know. But... And, yeah, yeah, she is literally then just gone. It, it Like, their, their romance is built up for about 20 minutes, and then she just doesn't turn up again, yes. Yeah. It just, it seems, yeah, it, it, 
I, I honestly don't know where other people would have fit into this movie. Um, it's maybe it was that because I mean, what a lot of the time happens with Malik is his films don't take a long time to make; they take a long time to produce. Yeah, and maybe it was that he had this idea off the back of Trio Light to do this, and like you say, he sat down, shot it all, sat down, and went. Yeah, I got nothing. And then put something together and went, well, I got this. And this is the best I'm going to get out of that. So why don't I do that? But I want to go off and do this other thing that I was thinking about doing, that I've had this idea of doing halfway through doing this. And I've already fucking cast it and everything, so I'm going to go off and do that. Yeah, that that yeah, that is kind of it. And I mean, like, because I've been reading other reactions of the film, it, it is basically a kind of a not love it or hate it, but a love it or, or kind of meh it. I I suppose, and I'm definitely in the in the latter category there. And it's just I I can see how people read into these other grand themes in in Malik's other films. You know, maybe not Badlands to an extent. I think that's his most straight up just story and and even days of heaven to to an uh, to an extent but the the lyrical imagery also says an awful lot in that film as well but it it, it just it, i i don't see what the grand plan of to the wonder is apart from a story that's just a bit boring with some really really nice imagery and voiceover which is terrible um, yeah. There's there's one that really got me. Kirilenko, I swear she says something. Love, what is this love that loves us? And it, it just like by that point, you are just talking out of your ass. I mean, as as much of a genius as Malik is, he's talking out of his ass. Yeah, he, he goes he goes too far with this. I think at points. Um, I, I, the fact that the most vocal and sort of linear scene in the film is Olga Kurkenko and her friend, I think it is. Oh, God. Possibly yeah. Yeah. walking down the street and she throws a bag into the thing. That. And when you're watching that, you're thinking, hang on a minute, wait, is this really the same guy who made Tree of Life, New World, Thin Red Line, Days of Heaven... And Badlands, because this this feels like somebody trying to make a Terence Malick film rather than actually Terence Malick making a film. It feels like somebody making a parody of a Terence Malick film. Yeah, it does feel a bit of a parody at points, doesn't it? It's that ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, like, because I know the film junk, uh, the film junk guys kind of uh, brought this up as well. But like, just like, there's a moment where Ben Affleck just like whispers, he's like, "Why." My hope, my love, you know, it just, what, what, it's not like I need Malik to say, right, this is what it means, I'm going to sit you down. It just, it doesn't feel like it actually means anything, but because it's Malik, you, you, and you quite rightly think it's supposed to, and you're trying to figure it out like there's some grand mystery, and there's not a grand mystery, it, it, it's just a misfire. The best thing that could have happened at the end of this film, where instead of it saying um, a film by Terence Malick, is if at the end of it, it just said Obsession, Calvin Klein. 
and you'd actually been watching a two-hour obsession commercial. I, I would have liked that, either that and, or... And, 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 at that, you could have gone, well, fair fucking play. <laughs> yeah, either that or presented by funnyordie.com. Yeah, if it would have done that, you could have gone, that actually makes sense. That's, that's, either, yeah. Either of those two situations, you'd have been able to go, well, that makes more sense than to the wonder. And this is coming from, personally, I adore Malik. He's one of my ten all-time favourite directors, despite the fact that he hasn't made that many movies. Um and to testament to that, my nephew the other week actually texted me and said, um, who are your ten favourite directors? And at the moment, he's texting me a lot because he's, he's, he's well into films and he's texting me about films. Most of the time, he's texting me to ask if he's allowed to watch certain films. <laughs> and he's only like 13. And I keep thinking, oh, fuck, yeah, you should be able to watch that. But then I keep thinking, oh, my sister would kill me yeah, yeah. if I let him watch that. Um, and I'm basically being used as the barometer at the moment for him. And let's say he recently, he texted me to ask me, who is your favourite director? And I'm just trying to find my texted response to him. Um, because I'm pretty sure I put Malik within that. Um, so I'll let you talk for it while I find it. Um, yeah, well, I, mean, I, I mean, I'll say, I, I, I didn't outright hate the film. I, mean, I gave it a two out of five on Letterboxd. It's just the, the fact that that's the same I gave a Haunted House is still blows my mind, which kind of shows the banality of the star rating. But, um, I mean, Olga Kurilenko is fine. Um, I, th- I think she plays her her bits well. Um, obviously, it is gorgeous. Like I say, I was in it. I was into it for the first half hour. I liked Javier Bardem, uh, as useless as his character turned out to be. It just... It, it's just, it's not very good. I'm glad it was quite short for a Malik film. Yes. Because um, it would have been too much if it had been, you know, three hours long. I, I, I'll be honest, if this had gone much longer than it was, I probably would have turned it off. Yeah. Uh, because I was I was running out of... I, I was running out of... grace with it, I'll say. Have you found your text? I've not found my text, no. Um... But, uh, so we'll, we'll move on. Yeah, and I think just over, well, about 25 minutes is probably about as much juice as we, we're going to get out to The Wonder, I think. Yeah, um, and, oh, shit, right, so based on our... <sighs> how do we how do we view this? What are you going to say? Uh, definitely shit. Do you know what? I'm going to have to say definitely shit, and that fucking really, really upsets me. Yeah. Because it Terrence Malik and he's my boy. Everyone has to misfire, and it looks like old Terry has. Mm, um, it's a fucking crying shame because I, like I say, I absolutely adore the guy. There we go. And um, is that, in terms of like main reviews, is that our first duo? Definitely shit. I no, um, Dracula was. Oh god, yeah, of course it was. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I, I'm well. I'm glad that I'm glad that our first duel definitely shit wasn't Terence Malick. That's go down the whole building. And just the uh, top board. Oh, I love it. And these are the two ladies with big balls. Ladies with balls. Spirit of ecstasy. Yes, the ball of him. That. And uh, this is uh, 
This is all designed by Ringo Starr. Oh, really? Yes, that lamp's a bit low. Ah, uh, yes, yes, it's nice, isn't it? Oh, Come Come on, on. We'll shoe you in. Follow me into the, uh, well, not the sewer. That wouldn't be That's appropriate for the bedroom. Fairy tale bed. Yes, it is. You get Snow White and Seven Dwarfs on here. Hmm. Starting with um, Dopey and uh, Happy. No dwarfs. Really? Mm. Press this button. Ooh. Close your eyes. Is amazing. It's like living inside a giant missile silo. What for Okay, we shall. Uh, you right to continue? I certainly am. Yeah. All right, we'll bust on through then, and it's to the last review, and uh, this is for Michael Winterbottom's *The Look of Love*, um, starring Steve Coogan, uh, Imogen Poots, uh, uh, Tamsin Egerton, Anna Friel, Chris Addison, uh, many, many others, um, and is the so yeah. I mean, this what this is one that we might need to give some context for for uh, uh, folks outside of the UK. Um, basically. Um, this is the story of Paul Raymond. Oh, pause two seconds. I found the text. Yeah, my <laughs> nephew texted me saying, who are your top ten favourite directors? I put David Lynch, Scorsese, De Palma, Carpenter, Early Argento, Coppola, Kurosawa, Tarantino, Terence Malick, but you probably won't like him, and Walter Hill. Anyone asked me to explain why I would like Terence Malick, I said, because... Because you're, you're 13 years old. you're 13 years old. <laughs> that, is, that is it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, nice. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, Paul Raymond, uh, played by Steve Coogan in this, uh, was a... Um, he basically did uh, kind of sexy review shows in Soho. They were kind of borderline pornography, like, but kind of he disguised them as plays. Burlesque. Yeah, 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 essentially, but quite rather seedy. Um, he just like he he ran a magazine and he he bought a lot of property and whatnot. And uh, in the mid nineties, he was named as the richest man in Britain. Um, the film basically is a kind of a biopic which focuses on his relationships and also his relationship with uh, his uh, doomed daughter Debbie, played by uh, Imogen Poots. So uh, the look of love. Uh, Mark went to see this this morning. And what did you think? Um, I really enjoyed the look of okay. love. Um, I have a very hit and miss relationship with uh, Michael Winterbottom. Um, I often find that I, I go and see um, a lot of his films um, at the at the cinema. To be honest, I'm looking over it, and I've seen a number of his movies at the cinema. Uh, but I would never class myself as a Michael Winterbottom fan, but I do tend to like a lot of his movies, but then I do tend to dislike a lot of his movies. Uh, for instance, I really enjoyed The Killer Inside Me. Um, but I'm also... Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Steve Coogan as as an actor. Um, so I was a little bit... You know, I'd heard a lot of negative things about this, so I went into it thinking, God, this is going to be not great. Um, 
I, I, I really liked it. It was very reminiscent of The People versus Larry Flynn, uh, the uh, Milos Forman movie uh, about Larry Flynn, um, partially in terms of the fact that they were similar kind of characters and the stories are focused around a, a similar industry and um, see the parallels you can draw between the two, the two men. Um, I thought Coogan after sort of 10-15 minutes um, when he stopped being Steve Coogan um, and sort of you know you got the feeling of Paul Raymond um, that he grew into it a lot Um, and then once the story kind of added a bit of weight into it I thought it was it was it was very good Um, it visually looks brilliant and I like the fact that it never tries to paint anybody as being a good person, but then also it never tries to demonise anybody, really. Um, it, it, it very much it treats them as, right, this is what happened, this is what they did. Make your own mind about whether or not this is a good thing or if it's a bad thing or not, or if these are good guys or these are bad guys. Um, and it also... it. it it has enough at the beginning so that by the time you get to the the crux of the story is Paul Raymond and his daughter and how that kind of happened and what happened there. And by the time you get to that, you've had a good sort of half an hour, 40 minutes of getting to know Paul Raymond and getting to know that essentially he's not a, he's not a bad guy. He's just not a wise guy. Um, you know, he's, very intelligent, very good at business. Um, he wants to do things the right way. He just lacks a certain element of sense, we'll say. Um, uh, we'll get the performance and everything in a minute. So, what was it? Because I'm guessing you didn't like this movie. What was what, what was what was your thoughts on it? I'm sorry, I've suddenly got the massive urge to go for a pee. Sorry, mate. Um, I, no I'll, problem, I'll be back in just a sec. Sorry, man. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, so um, no, I wasn't. I wasn't a big fan of this. Um, the, the, I, the thing is, I can't really put. Well, actually, no, I can put my finger on why. It was surprisingly just very straight up and conventional. Um, I, I thought, and I just it didn't really do anything to re- make me sit up and take notice. Um, I, I mean, in terms of the performances, I don't think there's anything you can really speak about being anyone being particularly great. Everybody's competent. I don't think mm. I don't think anybody's bad at all. Um, it, it, it's just I, 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 I throw a couple of the absolute support cast are I think what what for me were issues. Uh, for instance, I, I didn't need David Williams playing that character. I didn't need. Stephen Fry playing the character he played. Same, I didn't need um, Matt Lucas playing the character he played. They felt very shoehorned in. The, um, the fact they're all in the opening credits as well baffled yeah. me. And it, it just did volumes a little bit at points. It was like I felt like I felt like if I was on set, I'd have been screaming at him. This isn't a sketch. It's a film. Yeah. He was playing a sketch character, which is all David Williams can do. He can't do anything else. Is he can do a sketch character? That's it. And might add, 
I I don't understand the David Williams thing. He's never been funny at, ever to me at all. And in this, he uh, he irritated me by his mere presence. I I think. I think, and maybe that feeds into one of my problem with the film, where it just feels like it, it was a bunch of people just wanting to make the film just to kind of hang around with each other. Um, mm. it, it was just like Michael Winterbottom just wanted to hang around with Steve Coogan for a bit and just said, you know, Steve, I can give you this role, but you could, you could basically do Partridge. Um, and, but I mean, like, like I said earlier on, I, I, I mean, I, I know we're already getting into this, but I, I kind of want to, to be honest. Coogan is basically, I, I like Partridge. I really like Alan Partridge. I am really looking forward to Alpha Papa. I, that that thing's going to be really funny. I think. You see, but, I, I'm I'm looking forward to that, but I'm I'm a a very casual Alan Partridge fan. I like I don't dislike Alan Partridge, but I'm not one of these people that if when there's a new series, I'm like there's a fucking new series of Alan Partridge tonight. I'm I'll I'll fucking I'll sky plus it, and then at some point I'll I, I might watch it. But that, that's that, that, yeah. that's my relationship with Alan Parsons. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm pretty much the same as well. It's just like I don't know. I I'm, I'm the, the idea of a big screen Partridge uh, movie is 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 fun to me. But it, it, it's this is basically Alan Partridge in a bizarro world where he's got some business sense, and somehow everything he says is irresistible to women. Like mm. it, it, it's. Because, I mean, like, the the lines he has, and, like, the there's that one bit where he's dancing with the girls, and he's saying, like, I bet you thought I was, pick, um, I was coming to pick her up, you know? It, it just, it feels like it would be cringing, it, 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 instead think, of the girls getting wet over it. It's so weird. I think by then, though, that was cringy. I think that was supposed to be cringing. It was the fact that earlier but then on... I'm pretty sure he still had a threesome that night, though. But it's the only point where you don't see him kind of going home with somebody and wake up in bed with somebody. You know, when he's got, when he's on top, when he had um, Tamsin uh, Egerton um, and whatever she was called because she had like three fucking names in the film. Um, You know, he was always going home with her and somebody else. And, you know, his his pat-up felt felt better you know it, it worked better and it didn't feel as creepy when because essentially then what was happening was his daughter was coming out with him and his friends and once it got to that point it was he was going out with his daughter and her friends mm. and that's when it started to sound a little bit weird but i mean when you go back to you know um 24 hour party people again you've got michael winterbottom and steve coogan and he's playing, uh, you know, within that film uh, there, he's playing Tony Wilson. But he, he did feel a little bit like it was as much Alan Partridge and as much Steve Coogan as it was Tony Wilson. Did like it was one part Partridge, one part Coogan, one part Wilson. And this very much, again, was, was similar. It did feel a little bit like some of the lines that Coogan's, that Coogan's Paul Raymond was putting across, you get the idea that Coogan himself has used those lines, because let's be honest, Coogan's a bit of a cab. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like, I was listening to um, Coogan being interviewed on the Empire podcast while I was jogging this morning, and he was saying that um, 
uh, Paul Raymond in in the flesh wasn't as rakish, and he didn't come up with these with these lines. It was it was artistic license to kind of make make the character more interesting. And I would say to that, it's kind of artistic license for Steve Coogan just to be Steve Coogan uh, with with some partridge in there. Like it, it would have been more interesting for me if he wasn't. Uh, you know, if, if he wasn't Caddish or whatever, and if he was like they, they, he says that he was this, he was this rather conventional guy, and it was like, okay, well, if he was a rather conventional guy, did he have all these threesomes? Because then it gets into the thing of, all right, did he just have these threesomes in the film because Coogan wanted to have threesomes in the film? Because I, I just get the sense that Steve Coogan had an awful lot more fun making this film than I myself did watching it, and that's the problem. I, 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 I'm always, this is one thing that I'm always quite kind of curious about um, in when you're doing a biopic of people. Now, when you're doing a biopic of, let's say, Tina Turner, and you're doing What's Love Got To Do With It, right? And your two iconic characters there, your two main characters are Tina Turner and Ike Turner, right? You know, I know, the majority of people, when that movie came out, they know what those people look like. Yeah. You know what Tina Turner looks like, right? I know about Paul Raymond. I know about, you know, why I know about Paul Raymond. What, you know, I know bits about his life. I don't know. I'm not a fucking expert on him, but I knew enough going into the film to know that he owned, like, fucking half Soho and was incredibly rich and, you know, had a bit of a reputation. But while I was watching it, I was thinking... I have no idea what Paul Raymond looked like. Do you look anything like the making Coogan look like? Because there was some interesting hair going on in that film. And then it gets me thinking, but shit, does um, Imogen Pooch look anything like Debbie Raymond? And does Tamsin Egerton look anything like one of the names that she's supposed to be? And then you start thinking, do these people, are they, do they look anything like it? Or is this one of these right? We're going to take the idea of Paul Raymond's life and make a film out of it rather than actually, you know, making a film of Paul Raymond's life. Because if you have a look at a picture of Paul Raymond now, you know, that guy might have had threesomes, but they had nothing to do with a silver tongue. They had more to do with what was in his wallet. Yeah. You know, he's not, you know, he's not a looker. I mean, uh, yeah, and, 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 and that's the thing. I mean... Okay, so maybe it was artistic license making it more interesting, but then it kind of takes away the point of even doing a biopic in the first place. You know, um, if 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 a lot of this stuff was just made up, I mean, the, I mean, the bare facts are interesting, and his relationship with his daughter is quite interesting. But then you've also got like his relationship with with his wife. I mean, I think Anna Frail plays the uh, the wronged wife quite well, actually. Um, yeah, like the level of her is is well done there. But then Tamsin Ed- Edgerton's character, who like has no real character at all, other than she fucks Paul Raymond and then they get together and then she has a fair bit of like say in the magazine. But that's about all there is to it. It's I, I would have preferred more of the relationship between Paul Raymond and, and Debbie because that is the most engaging stuff. That is the most interesting stuff. And like you say, it, it doesn't demonize and it doesn't eulogize. It just 
it, it kind of paints it, it paints it as how you want to interpret it in that way. And that stuff is interesting. And I do think Imogen Poots is very good in this as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think the the thing is is the 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 two main um, the two principal characters of Paul Raymond and Debbie Raymond are both dead. So it's it it'd be you know the fact that the film doesn't demonise him, but it does throw out a very few kind of like questionable things about their their relationship and certain actions. Like for instance, her him giving her a line of coke while she's actually in labour. Mm. You know, that was a little bit like, ooh, I wonder if that actually happened. I, 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 and if it did, that, you know, that casts a fucking, a, a very different light on Paul Raymond. It's like, I can't see either of them two people in real life having told anybody that that happened, and neither of them are there to ask or to have said, well, yeah, things got that bad that I did this, or things got that bad that I made my dad do this. And it felt a little bit like that was the the nastiest it got. And it, it wasn't in particularly that fucking nasty. But it, th- it felt a little bit like well, that was a little bit incongruous to what he'd been like. Even in fairness, though, that bit specifically, she's kind of begging him. Yeah, but still. I, I know what you're saying, but it's not like he forced the coke on her or anything. Yeah, and you know, it, it very much insinuates that her her problems and her drug problems and her ultimate her death are his fault. The fact that the first time he catches her doing coke coming out of the um, toilet with um, Chris Addison, um, you know, he says, "If you're going to do this, you know." at least do the good stuff, don't do this shit. And she's like, yeah, thanks for that great parent in there. And it's like she wanted him to say, what the fuck are you doing doing this? And drag her home and you're not doing this. And he doesn't. He goes, well, you know, if you're going to do coke, at least do good coke. Yeah. Um, And she's like, oh, Right. It's just you, you. Yeah, I see what you mean. You don't ever you don't ever feel like that's how it actually played out. Like that's yeah. that's the interaction that happened, yeah. I, and I mean, also like the first time she does coke as well. It's like after, is it? No, no, it's not after that. It's um, it's she's chatting to Chris Addison, isn't she? And he's just like, yeah, it, like oh, do you want to come and try something? Basically, it just I don't know. It just it yeah, you're right. It doesn't really feel like this this stuff really would happen in this way. But I mean, that's that's the thing with biopics in general as well. But it it does just kind of feel feel a little bit freewheeling and a bit a bit artificial. And it's a bit the whole thing to me just felt rather lazy. I mean, even the um like the the kind of the choices the Winterbottom makes, like the 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 music. It's all very very obvious. Oh, okay, we're in the mid eighties now. I'll be honest, when I sat down, because um, I went on my own, uh, and there was three other people, and I was in screen fucking one. Oh, mate, I was in one of the largest screens in our cinema world yesterday, quarter to four in the afternoon. Saturday afternoon, quarter to four, there was six of us in there. I was amazed it was on at screen one, and um, Iron Man was on screen two. I mean, there isn't much difference in terms of size in those two screens at uh, Picture House, but I, was still, I expected screen three, and I got screen one, and I was like... Fucking hell. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, like I said, there was three other people in, and I was the only person in there that was under 60, is what I will say. Um, but, um, yeah, and I, when I sat down, and when it was about to start, I mentally said to myself, right, I'm going to I'm gonna high-five myself when 20th Century Boy comes yeah, on. T- yeah. Because I, cause at the minute that film started, it's like, 20th Century Boy is going to be in this movie. And then when it started, I actually literally high-fived myself, which which essentially, high-fiving yourself is just clapping. <laughs> so, essentially, when Boy came on, I went, yeah. I just clapped. To which, to which all three people did kind of turn around and look at me. Nice. I, I, I mean, it, 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 it's that, and I mean, I, I suppose in a way, the the the, the way the kind of the, the 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 like almost like the film stock kind of changes. Like it's black and white, and then it's that that kind of sixties kind of blown that didn't out. Work for me. Sorry, the black and white didn't work. For me. Oh no, no. I'm so, yeah. I'm saying it's just like I I kind of see the intent, but like the way it does that, and then it's the sixties kind of blown out, kind of sixteen millimeter kind of stuff, and it kind of moves on. It, it was just like. And that's it, that's that's the way that's the way you're gonna play it, is it? It just it does it, that's not really all that interesting. I mean, I will say that as opposed to it just coming up on the screen saying 1973, 1978 yeah. was all right, but it, it just that and the music in combination, it just it didn't work. It just it very it felt to me like this film was just kind of tossed off. I, I I get the feeling where um, I I think a lot of Michael Winterbottom films are like that. Yeah. I get the feeling that a lot of the time Michael Winterbottom gets bored while he's making a film and is already thinking about the next movie he's going to make. His films always feel quite rushed and quite underfinished. Um, and but I, I mean like I'm saying all this, but I I enjoyed Look of Love because I think I had such low expectations um, and. I'm not the world's biggest Steve Coogan fan. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the people that were coming up on screen, a lot of them, it was cool, I was going, they are, that person irritates me. They irritates me. I don't like them. I don't like that. Shit. And I, I was saying, I'm going to, and then when it went to black and white, I thought, I'm going to fucking hate this. I'm going to going to sit for the next hour and 45 minutes going, this is shit. And then I gradually got into it. I was like, Do you know what? I'm liking this. It's throwaway. It is incredibly throwaway. But there was, you know, I liked Imogen Pootstock was very good in it. I actually thought um, Tamsin Egerton was very good in it. Um, Chris Addison's uh, great, essentially playing this character that Chris Addison yeah. always plays, yeah. but he played it quite well. Um, and it's quite nice seeing him be a little bit, a little bit sleazier than he usually yeah, plays. Yeah, sure. Because he, he usually plays that kind of character, but the nice version of that kind of character. Like, a nice arsehole. Whereas here, he is essentially playing a smut peddler that isn't a smut peddler because he happens to be in business with Paul Raymond, who keeps him just to the line, you know, just flickering the line of what is, you know, outright pornography. Um, even though it is pornography. You know, but, you know, there's, he wants to do the fucking crotch shots. And Paul Raymond's saying, no, we're not going there. We're going to stay, we're going to stay hand in front of the crotch. Mm. But you can show hair, but I don't want to see any pink bits. Is essentially what I'm doing. And I, the best scene in the entire film 
is where they're watching that interview film thing for some reason. And Chris Addison is basically just there with a tray, just snorting line of coke after line of coke. And you can see uh, Paul Raymond getting increasingly agitated by him. And it's you've, you've seen that throughout the entire film. He's always seemed like he's on the edge of sort of snapping with him. Yeah. And that's the moment where he actually snaps with him. But it's the, the great moment is where he says that he's going to put Debbie in control of the magazine, and that's when sort of Chris Edison started saying, "What really? You know, let's be honest. You know, I'm fucked up, but she's more fucked up than me." Yeah, yeah. And that's a really well done scene, and it's nice to fucking see James Lance doing something because sort of late nineties, early noughties, James Lance was on every fucking TV. Yeah, where the fuck has he been? I don't know, he, 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 he literally, he was on everything. Um, and he used to live in York as well. Oh, really? Yeah, he lived in York for a brief period because uh, he used to, um, he used to, I used to work at TK Maxx in York as a manager there when I was like 17, 18. Um, and he used to come in loads um, into um TK Maxx with a very attractive girlfriend that he had that was considerably older than he was. Wow. Uh, and he always seemed like a really nice guy. But this was around the same sort of time as he was doing, like, just before he was doing, like, the book group and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, he's, 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 he's... Apparently he was in Hotel Babylon, which I've never watched, so... Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, 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 it was nice to see him, and I'm trying to think of... I don't know. I just don't really have any uh, that much more to say. It's kind of weird we've managed to get through four reviews in just over two hours. Yeah, it is really. Um, let's say I I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I'm never going to say that I didn't like a movie where I got to see Tamsin Edison um, nude for the majority of it um, because she is stunningly beautiful. Yeah, she's very attractive. However, uh, she's very tall and very tall women scare me a lot. <laughs> Because they always, I always think at some point that they're going to eat me, and not in a sexual way. Nice. Um, so I think if I ever met um, Townsend Edison, I, I, I would be uh, just quivering in a corner because she looks like she could at some point play the living embodiment of a praying mantis. <laughs> a sexy one. Don't get me wrong. A sexy praying mantis. Yeah, I, I, if, if I if I weren't married, I'd, I'd I'd still cripple her in every way. But um, nice. But I am, so I can't. Unless I'm called Paul Raymond. And on that note, definitely shit. Definitely not shit. <laughs> I also, I, I won um, Tony Powers' wardrobe. Which one was Tony Powers? Was he Chris Addison? Chris Addison, yeah. Yeah, that was a good wardrobe, in it's, fairness. Uh, 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 just one last thing, right? Um, Simon Bird's character. Oh, What, what, what? He literally, it is like he turned up on set and, as a joke, put on a wig and a moustache and went, <laughs> look at this. And my critical button went, keep it. Because I've since looked and that isn't what Jonathan Hodge looked like at oh, all. Oh, really? Like, at all. <laughs> um, um, so, it, 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 and then again, he just fucking disappeared. Yeah, well, I mean, that... Because, yeah, that was the point. Like, was the baby even his? No, it wasn't. The baby's... The, the first daughter was his. The second daughter wasn't. But then again, 
you don't even find out that she was pregnant a second time. Yeah, and like the other guy who was at the funeral, it's just like, oh, right, okay, I'm guessing that's, what, her second husband? No, um, I think, and don't quote me on this, nothing to do with the film, but this is from what little I know about Paul Raymond, is he worked for Paul Raymond and got her pregnant. Oh, okay. Uh, but they had an on-off relationship for years. Right. Uh, I think, well, don't quote me on that, but I definitely read something about that. See, that's the thing, we just... I don't know. It just it, doesn't not care to really go into it's not that. mentioned at all. Um, it, it kind of... It goes up to a point, it covers a, a, a small portion of Paul Raymond's life, and then it bounces to other prevalent moments, but doesn't explain the events of how it got to that moment. Mm. Yeah. Which are an issue with it. Yeah. It's fun, but ultimately completely fucking meaningless. Um, if you're interested in it, it will probably be on Netflix or iPlayer in about the next year. I would I would say this will be on Netflix, um, I would say by October. I, I could see that happening. I could yeah. totally see that happening. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the look of love, just... And it's probably going to be gone from the, the majority of cinemas by Friday. It looks like it's not doing very well, and I'm kind of not surprised. Anyway, uh, but Mark liked it, so hey. Uh, yes, I, I, I will be the one person who might buy it. Oh, Jesus. Right, okay. Uh, we've only got one question this week. Two questions. Oh, two. Yes. Okay. Do you want to go with yours first? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, at Team Zizou. If you could have a 15-minute interview with one actor and one director, who would you choose? Um, mine's easy. Um, director um, would be um, David Lynch. Um, I wouldn't ask him the meaning of any of his films or anything like that. I would probably just chat with him about his films and about what I like. A 15-minute interview would be me for 15 minutes telling David Lynch about how much I adore Twin Peaks. Nice. That would, that's what it would be. And I imagine him just sort of nodding and going, yeah, that's, that's really nice of you. That's, thank you. You know, and just being just really fucking nice about it. <laughs> you know, and kind of occasionally throwing in little bits of saying, oh, it's interesting that you think that. You're wrong, but it's interesting that you think that. And me going, I don't care that I'm wrong. Because I, cause I think I'm right. And I think you're wrong. And I think he would be very much like going, do you know what? Yes. <laughs> because cause his thing is, when anybody asks, what does this mean? What does that mean? His response is always, well, what does it mean to you? And it's like, what, what does it mean? Like, well, what does it mean to you? Because what it means to you, what it means to me, and what it means to that person over there, and that person over there, and somebody watching it in Thailand, and somebody watching it in Brazil, is different to what it means to everybody. So what does it mean to you? You tell me that. And then when the person says, well, I think it means this, he'll say, well, that's wrong. <laughs> it, it, it's like there was uh, a great interview uh, with Little Mike, who plays the weird dwarf in um, uh, Twin Peaks, yeah. um, the man from another place. And um, he, he was sort of saying that he'd, when they were doing the, the last um, episode of, of Twin Peaks... And they're going through all the bits in the in the Black Lodge, and he was saying to David Lynch, oh, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to do this because I think it's about this and everything like this. And, you know, I think this is what it means and everything like that." And, said, and then David Lynch went, "Really? 
are you getting all that? And he's like, yeah. He went, that is that is the furthest away you can get wow. from what this means. And he was like, all oh, right. So what does it mean? And David Lynch said, I don't know. <laughs> he's like, so how can it be the furthest away? Just not that. <laughs> from what it is. And he, and he just goes, that's for you to work out. <laughs> and then, it, and, and they're friends. <laughs> and I just, I get the feeling that, you know, he'd just be a wonderful person to talk to. And the other one um, would be um, Robert De Niro, just in the simple fact that I adore Robert De Niro, always have adored Robert De Niro, and I know apparently he's a pain in the ass to interview. But again, it would just be me asking him questions and him kind of giving me stunted answers. But, you know, that's better than not asking the questions and not getting the answers. Nice. Um, My main question would be, what do I have to do to get the Midnight Run sequel? Blow him. I'd do it. Nice. I'd blow, I'd blow up De Niro for a Midnight Run sequel. I don't know why there hasn't been one, because De Niro wants one. And usually, I, I'm guessing if De Niro wants something, he pretty much gets it. Charles Grodin's pretty much retired, and he doesn't do anything. He's, he's very ill, isn't he? Oh, is he? Shit. He's very ill, yeah. He, he, he Apparently, he has said that, because um, there was a lot of rumours that him and De Niro didn't get on. Um, and he was asked about it recently, and he said in an interview, I, you know, I have no, I genuinely have no idea where all these rumours came from. He said, Bobby is a very difficult person to work with because he's so perfect all the time. Yeah. He got on great. So now I would, I, you know, I'd like, you know, the reason why they, I, I mean, that run didn't happen is because I was a, I was a jerk, not because he was a jerk. But you know, and I, apparently, if he was in better health, it would have happened by now. Mm. Yeah, plenty out. Um, I mean, I, I, I would say um, uh, actor. I would go with Willem Dafoe. Um, That's a good. One. Yeah, because just because he'd have stories, I think you know, and I'd like to get just a, just a couple of them. Um, director, I'd say David Fincher because um, he, he is quite frosty and he is quite cold, but I think he'd be quite entertaining in that as well. I think he'd be he'd be like a challenging interview, but he'd be. One, I think you could get a lot of good stuff out of if you ask the right questions in the right way, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, those would be my two. Also, I'd, I'd, have a, I'd have a dual one as well. I'd like to interview um, Sylvester Stallone as well. Just do, like, I a half-hour, like, yeah, quarter-hour hour about actor, quarter-hour <laughs> yeah. about director. Actually, actually, it'd just be half an hour about Rambo, to be honest. Nice. That, that's all it would be, just be me talking about Rambo. Um, and then I'd make him swear that they'll, that they'll never let them remake First Blood. Three and a half months till the game. Yep. I know. No, it's not that long. I thought it was August. Oh, fuck it, I haven't put back again, is it? I... it uh, honestly, if it had been put back, I am going to fucking murder somebody. Um, I saw it on Amazon the other day, and I swear it said oh, it was God. the week of my birthday. It was supposed to be the, it was supposed to be the 3rd of uh, May. Um... Available for pre-order, this item will be released on 13th of August 2013. Oh, because I've put it back. Uh, right. I am not joking here. Uh, this is a, I, the comment I'm about to make is genuine. I have taken a week off. Oh, shit, really? Right. I have taken <laughs> oh, no. a week off. I am off from... The, my last three work is next Friday, because next Saturday is my mum's wedding. And then the following week, it is Mike and Hannah's wedding. Yeah. So I needed the Friday off of the um, 10th anyway. So I've taken that week off. 
And my plan was to do, uh, on Sunday, next Sunday, a week today, was to wake up hungover, go to the cinema to see whatever film we're covering, do the podcast, and then from 8 o'clock on the Sunday, play Rambo until Thursday night. And I can't do that. Oh, mate, that's brutal. Yeah, it's August. Fuckers. Well, actually, funnily enough, I got the week after that off as well, randomly. Wow. So, fuck you. (laughs) Honestly, when people are listening to that, they've just heard my world be crushed. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) So fucking angry about that. Oh, blimey. Fucking that fuckers. Right, I have another question. Uh, yes. From, uh, very cinematic. Uh, which film have you seen the most times? Probably Back to the Future for me. One summer I watched it nearly every day. Fuck. What film have I seen the most times? Um, I've got a, a collection of films. Um, the, the films that I put on when I've come home and I've had a few drinks or when I've got home and I'm tired and I want to just put a film on that maybe I'll only watch the first 40 minutes of, uh, but I always end up watching all of it. And they are The Burbs, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, um, and Escape from New York. Seen those three films probably, oh, God, 20-plus times at least. Um, at least. Uh, probably Alien. Probably Alien. Sunshine's getting up there. Jurassic Park's probably getting up there. Uh, but I think probably Alien, yeah. Alright, well, what film did you see the most times at the cinema and how many times? Cinema. Um, uh, I saw Kill Bill Volume 1 three times. I saw Phantom Menace three times for my sins. Um, did you hate yourself that much? No, I was trying to convince myself I liked it. Um, even though actually the third time, it was just like um, my dad basically paid me to take my stepsister to go see it just to get her out of the house. My then stepsister. Um, uh, I, mine, mine is um, is seven. I saw Wayne's World at the cinema seven times. Wow, really? I was quite at the time. I was like fucking nine or something like that. And by this point, um, I was basically going to the cinema on my own um, back in the good old days when I could just bike around to the fucking cinema. Um, and, yeah, I went to see... Yeah, I'll have been... So let's see when it was released. Yeah, yeah, I'll have been nine years old and I saw it seven times. Nice. Twice with a friend, once with my sister, and then four times on my own. I think I, think I saw Scott Pilgrim three times. Uh, I saw The Matrix Revolutions three times, three times in three days as well, because I promised three different sets of friends I'd go and see it with them. Um, uh, I saw Dark Knight Rises three times. saw The Dark Knight twice. I've seen a shitload of films at the cinema twice. Yeah, I've seen loads at the cinema twice. But yeah, that, that I think, yeah, it's, uh, without question, Wayne's World is my most watched at the cinema seven times. I don't, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a film at the cinema four times, so it's going to be a number of films that I've seen three times. Cool, right. Uh, that's it, isn't it? I believe so. so. Two and a half hours. Yeah, not not too shabby. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that, folks. So I hope it uh, didn't feel too rushed. I don't think it did. Um, no. No, no. Um, 
So, uh, dude and a monkey at gmail.com, at dude and a monkey, at Ian Loring and at dude Foz. Uh, we'll have a discussion at some point about what we're going to do for our next marathon. Um, next week, um, well, it's either Dead Man Down, which is from the guy who directed The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the original, or... Oh, yeah, with uh, with Terence Howard uh, playing the least scary, sinister gangster ever, yes. it would have been. Yeah. Because, let's be honest, he has a voice like a crying puppy. That That is true. That is true. Um, even though, bear with me just a sec, because I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Even though I've got a feeling... Um, no, uh, George might want to do this on Heroes as well, and I'm not too sure I want to talk about this twice, but bear with me just a sec. Uh, oh, okay, no, never mind. Um, I thought Upstream Colour was coming out on VOD at the end of the week, but apparently it's the 7th of May. Um, so never mind. But uh, I, so it's either that or Pedro Almodovar's new one. I'm so excited. Um, uh, what, what do you think, Mark? We'll 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 work it out in the week. I'll work out what I can what I can get to. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Cool. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Yeah. Cheers, folks. Uh, take it easy. Have a good week. Cool.